Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. All right, welcome in. And I am coming directly off the bench. As I've said before, I am relatively familiar with that role, so hopefully I can do it well again. Tom, uh, for those of the praying type, please keep Tom in your thoughts and prayers. He's dealing with a, a family matter. I don't want to over-speculate and make this sound maybe more intense than it is, but I also don't want to under-speculate. We're not completely aware of the situation. I also don't want to put out any kind of crazy rumors. Marty's fine, but he's dealing with some things within his family that he has to attend to. He might be back tomorrow. Maybe he'll be back Thursday, but nonetheless, until then, we wanted to continue to obviously keep doing a show. As we've said before, we like to keep doing this every single day. So thank you for tuning in. We're going to do our very best and uh, keep things light. But again, if you are the praying type or even the thoughtful type, whichever the, of those two that you fall under, please uh, keep Tom's family in, uh, in your thoughts and prayers. So fellas, we obviously only had what was maybe a few hours to uh, to come up with uh, a show script that we felt passionate enough about talking about. So what did we do? We turned it over to the chat. If you're just tuning in, you can see the poll question there on your screen, and you can go ahead and select what type of conversation you would like this show to be centered around. We do still have, I believe, Tracy Jones uh, later in the show, and I'm looking forward to talk to him because if you don't know, tomorrow... Um, which would which, which be March, is, um, Paul, what was it again? It was National Women's... Oh, I think it's, uh, yeah, uh, first day of Women's History Month tomorrow. Okay, Women's History Month is tomorrow, and no better person to break down that subject than Tracy Jones, I'm sure, which will be at 11.30. But nonetheless, I, again, appreciate all you guys coming into the chat, having some fun. I want to get into, fellas, and Reed Mouse, is, we, we, we pulled him in just so he could fill up some airtime as he's wearing that tired Indiana shirt that he wears from time to time. The Hoosiers! And we're going to talk about some NFL draft really quickly. And Trace said, Sirboy wants calls. So I'm sure maybe Casey can cook that up. Yeah, and if you I'll guys want to do, right do some calls, we'll do some calls. He's going he's gonna to cook that up now, and we'll, we'll take some calls today. Why not? I mean, today is one of those situations where you've probably been there at some point in your life where you're just going about your day and then you realize that something happens and your day is completely different than what you planned on it. And that's where we all are at this very moment. Having said that, I was looking through some mock drafts right before the show and I seen some things that are just out, out and above beyond crazy to me. At what point and when did Anthony Richardson become an elite level quarterback? I've watched this guy play in the SEC for a few years now, and yes, he's got the build. Yes, he's got the arm talent. But from time to time, I've watched him play quarterback. Not one time did I ever think in my right mind, man, this guy would be a really good NFL quarterback if he was surrounded with the right types of guys and players. He played for the University of Florida. It's not like this guy plays for Kentucky, which, to be frank, you could argue those two programs are relatively at the same level, and for that, I might say I agree with you. However... There's just something to the idea that Anthony Richardson is, again, maybe I'm falling on a sword here, but he reminds me a little bit of Jamarco, uh, Jamarcus Russell, right? Both out of the SEC, both big, strong, burly guys that can throw the ball a country mile, but have never really proven themselves to be the reason that their team wins games that they shouldn't. If you're at the University of Florida and you have a top 10 NFL quarterback, you would be a little bit better than what they were this year. I don't care what anyone says, but here we are. 
Every single year in the NFL draft, we have these general managers who reach for quarterbacks, and we see it time and time again. The biggest thing that everyone thinks a bit around here, that you guys will laugh at it when I say it, and I'm sure we'll get some people in the chat that just call me a hater, is I genuinely think that if the Bears are an organization that wants to be against the grain and do winning things, I genuinely think they have a beautiful opportunity to trade Justin Fields while, one, his stock is still high, and two, they're in a draft capital position, which is the best you'll ever get, obviously, when you pick one. And you can get C.J. Stroud and or Bryce Young. Now, yesterday, I had some fun in the comments. I knew I was going to rile up the folks and say C.J. Stroud's going to be a bust. I think C.J. Stroud is the first Ohio State quarterback that I've seen that I actually think could have a very good NFL career. And it's largely based around the idea of what he did in that Georgia game. And that was the first time when I thought that he showed moxie. I thought that when he got a little bit of pushback, he decided to answer the bell, as they say. If he didn't play well in the Georgia game, for my money, he would have been just like every other run-of-the-mill quarterback at Ohio State. And my thing is, is a credit to the program Ohio State. Think People think that I'm hating on Ohio State when I say this. When you play quarterback at Ohio State, you are given every advantage in the world against your opponent. You have more times than not, a lot of time to throw the ball. And then, newsflash, I don't know if you see what Brian Hartline's been doing over the last five years at Ohio State, but they have literally the best wide receivers that the country has every single year. You're throwing to guys like Marvin Harrison Jr., Jackson Smith and Jigma. It's not hard to hit guys when they're wide open and they're running across the field on a five-yard crosser and you hit them and they run forever. Now I know you're going to pull up highlights, but most of those highlights are going to be against teams, quite frankly, that don't have NFL-type talent on the other side of the ball. And that's no disrespect to the, to the, to the Big Ten. But these quarterbacks struggled when they play against the Michigan. And outside of Michigan, maybe you could say Penn State, there's not that many defenses in the Big Ten where you're like, that's a really good defense. So maybe maybe this is like a conspiracy uh, situation where Trace is off his rocker. But if I can get two first-round picks, I want to know what your guys' opinion is. Do you think that if you could get two first-round picks for Justin Fields and the number one pick this year, or the number, uh, what would it be, four pick this year, would you take it? You have a call already. No, I do not have a call yet. I okay. was telling you to look at your phone. My phone. All right. But I will go ahead and start first on this. What do I think that they can get for Justin Fields? Um, I think that the highest that they can go, and this is very, very lucky if they do, is two first rounds. Um, they just need one team to really fall in love with the draft profile of Justin Fields to see that he's a excellent runner that he has enough arm talent there for something um you know a team that's also cocky a team that doesn't necessarily need um a bunch of positions to fill so in my mind if i'm looking at any of the teams that could potentially trade for him i'm looking at like maybe the giants uh, he probably won't trade to an NFC team, but... Danny Dimes? They don't really want to pay him. And Dable is a quarterback whisperer. If there's anyone that can get him to the next level, wouldn't that be the guy? Wouldn't that make sense? I mean, they've got potentially a bunch of free cap now that they're not having to waste on 
Danny Dimes. You're not paying Saquon. You get a good receiver. DeAndre Hopkins is pretty cheap right now. The receiver market's a dime a dozen at the current moment. So that would be my thought. That would be my potential place for him. But, again, Bears probably won't do that. They'll probably trade their first round 100% pick, that's what they're going to do. And they'll get players and just try to build around Justin Fields. Well, they're building around Justin Fields. Yeah, and I – and I'd that's like, my point, is I don't believe in that guy at, at one iota. And that's the problem, is that it's some – I don't know why I'm the only one that feels like I see this, but I don't watch him ever, and I think to myself that that guy is legit. He's very good. He's a hell of a running back. He's unbelievably athletic. And I know people think that that's a bit, and what I'm saying is a joke. I'm being genuine. He might be the best athlete in the NFL, but athletes don't win Super Bowls. They never have. They never have. There's not been one quarterback in this league where you look at him and you're like, well, the first thing I only talk about and the only thing I really talk about is how well they run the ball. Never. Not one time in the history of this league. And somehow we're supposed to think that that guy is going to lead his team to win a Super Bowl, and I just don't see it. Because as I said before, and I got laughed at when I sat up on the stage maybe, is that he's going to get hurt again. There's no way he's not. If you think Lamar Jackson is injury prone, I would say... What's the difference between Lamar Jackson and Justin Fields? There's no difference. Seth Pryor brings up a point and he says, you should trade, the, I should say the Ravens should trade for, for Justin Fields and Lamar Jackson straight up. The problem is, I don't think the Bears are going to take that trade because they're looking at it the same way that the, the Ravens are looking at it. Like, well, do we want this guy? I don't know if we want this guy. I mean, I, don't, I know Lamar has value in this league, but there needs to be at some point when you talk about skill sets of players, whether they have a good arm, whether they're accurate, whether they can they can kind of be mobile inside of a pocket, at some point you need to bring up what's their availability as a part of the conversation. It doesn't matter how good you are if you can't be on the field, which is half the problem with a lot of these guys that run first or they look to run as soon as they as soon as they get in any kind of trouble. And it's at, at some point, I think right now the Bears are in a beautiful position to be able to go out and get a legitimate franchise quarterback. Now, they're not going to do that. You know why they're not going to do that? Because that is one of the most ballsy and craziest moves one could make as a general manager. And Ryan Poles, who just came in there, right? He inherited this situation. The last thing he wants to do, just like they do in corporate America all the time, is when you finally get your way, you've been pecking along your whole entire career, and you finally get to the very top, and you're making a good salary. The last thing in corporate America people do, and the last thing that most general managers are going to do in a situation like that, is rock the boat completely and make it your decision, right? Ryan Poles could look like a hero if he decided to trade, or to, yeah, trade um, Justin Fields and go get a franchise guy, and that franchise guy work out. But let's not make let's make no mistake. If he were to do that, and just one year in, Justin Fields is is, is looking like an MVP candidate in your rookie looks like a rookie there's a chance that that guy gets let go immediately because of of the optics of all of that so the the thing that's going to stop the bears from doing it in my opinion isn't the validity of why you should do it but more of the optics of it so it's not going to happen i don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about what they would you know what what would happen if they did do it and i've seen sean he's obviously in the chat at times too jalen hurts is an athlete i get it i understand and the Bears are going to win the NFC North to go ahead and book it. 
I, as Sean's been on, he listen. He's he is riding this train of Justin Fields, and that's fine because I love exactly where this track is headed for me personally. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe I'm wrong, fellas. Do you? We had this argument earlier in the year. Has your mind changed at all about Justin Fields? You 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 were getting on the bandwagon, then you quickly realized, oh well, man, maybe I was still right. I shouldn't have gotten off the bandwagon. Um, you know, I I do think that there's still enough time for him to be good. I still think that you can develop because I look at Josh Allen, Josh Allen's of the world. There's not very many of them, but there is a chance. Um, But it takes a really special coaching staff to do it. It takes a a lot of GM manipulation and roster building for that to really come to fruition. So this off season is really critical for the Bears in order for Justin Fields to succeed. I think I'm not I'm not on the bandwagon that he can do it alone though. I don't think that he's a Joe Burrow type athlete or a Mahomes or some of these guys that carry below talent and raise them raise them above. I see that you're looking at me funny, Reed. Yeah, Joe, Joe Burrow doesn't have a whole lot of below talent, but yeah. He does. He's got a terrible offensive line that makes him, you know, have to make critical deci- decisions very quickly. And, I mean, it's the same concept as the receivers. You're lifting up the receivers if you're going to point out Patrick Mahomes. It's just Joe Burrow has to make his offensive line look a lot better than what it already is, which is not very good to begin with. I don't think... Getting back on topic, I don't think Justin Fields is of that mold. I think he needs a lot of help around him, a lot like Andy Dalton. Got to have a lot of talent around him to succeed. And that mold can win you a Super Bowl. It's been done before, but usually it takes like a really, really good defense or, right. you know, uh, above average on both sides of the ball. So I don't know. It, it's going to be a really tough decision for them, I'm sure. Um, but knowing, like you said, Trace, the optics of it, it just doesn't make sense for them to to risk their fan base and their organization to have that problem on their hands, to, to have the, the optics look that bad when you're trading Justin Fields. Listen, I'm a, I'm a one, in, one in the hand is worth two in the bush kind of guy, right? And I'm not out on Justin Fields quite yet. I'm... I think that he could be a great quarterback. I think you can see major strides in the next season to where he becomes, you know, a Pro Bowl quarterback, one of the top ten in the league. That being said, that if the Bears, they have this unique position with the number one overall pick to where they can do fun stuff. They can drastically improve their team. And the only way that I'm dealing Justin Fields in this whole debacle is if I know I can definitely improve at quarterback. And you don't know that you're going to do that with Bryce Young. You don't know you're going to do that with C.J. Stroud. You don't know if you're going to do that with anybody in the draft. There's only one way that you can definitively improve yourself at quarterback, and you might get some moans and groans here, but it is exactly what was brought up in the chat earlier. It is moving Justin Fields for Lamar Jackson. I think that fits both teams very well. The Ravens are already built for a running-style offense, so you put Justin Fields, a younger quarterback, in that. 
we was under player control, and then the Bears get a better quarterback, an MVP caliber quarterback that has missed eight games over the past two seasons, has been on the bench during the playoff run for the past two seasons, but is still an incredibly productive quarterback. MVP talks when he's out on the field, and he's only 25 years old. Yeah, you're going to have to pay Lamar Jackson coming here soon, but you incredibly improve at quarterback by moving Justin Fields for Lamar Jackson. So that's the only way in which I think the Bears should should move. And then you could start building your team around with the picks that you have. And they got the money too. They got a right. hundred plus million in cap space. That's a smart move. The Bears are the Bears are primed and and and, and ready to go and they're in a position within their franchise to go out and make a push to try to get guys that supposedly surround him. I'm just wondering, you know, at what point do we say that Justin Fields has the quote-unquote talent around him to where we can fairly judge him? Because every time I bring up criticism of this guy, it's always because of someone else. It's like, well, he was 12 for 22 for 110 yards because his offensive line isn't good or he doesn't have any weapons. Yet Andy Dalton starts the very next week for the Chicago Bears and he throws for whatever, 210 yards and two touchdowns and the, and the Bears win. And... Again, I'm not suggesting that, that, that Justin Fields at this very moment is worse than Andy Dalton, but I just want some accountability, and I'm just waiting for that time to come when we can hold this guy accountable because I don't think he's very good. Let's move on to the Bengals, who obviously pick later in the first round because they're better than the Bears, and that's how the NFL works. If I don't think any of these guys that, that have been brought up before that are big marquee names whether it be the Robinson kid out of Texas or the Meyer kid out of Notre Dame. I don't know if any of these guys are going to even be there, right? A lot of these mock drafts that I'm looking at right now have two tight ends that are still there that the Bengals are kind of like flip. I don't want to say flip floppy on, but it depends on what mock draft you look at and which, you know, which one you, you believe in and who they're going to take. One of them is obviously Darnell Washington out of Georgia, who's gotten a lot of hype because of just his athletic specimen. Um, I still think he's very raw. And then the other one was the tight end out of Oregon State, who I don't have his name right off the top of my head right now. I'm sure I could dig it up Musgrave. or whatever you guys. Musgrave. I, I just don't see how... I guess I just don't see how it's a, it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to go and try to get a skilled position. I think most Bengal fans would say, and maybe I'm wrong here, but let's just take a stab again at a tackle, keep building depth on the line, and and are you guys of the mindset to where they're going to draft based off need line, or you just continue to do maybe what some other franchises do, which is you genuinely take the best player available as right. long as it's not like a quarterback, or you know, is quarterback the only position that you don't draft best available? Yeah. Probably ah running back. I, you don't. I'm. You know my yeah. take on running back. But there's. Why would you go and if there's a tackle available that's graded at a mid second round? Why would you go and reach on him at the third one just because you need a tackle? Right. Why would you go and do that when you can you know draft a year and ahead like the Bengals have? So if the wide receiver is the best best available guy, yeah, you take him. If a, if a tight end is the best available guy. You take him because those are spots that we're going to need in a year, similar to what the Bengals did last year by taking a safety and a cornerback early in the rounds. Cam Taylor Britt. I, what round was Cam Taylor Britt drafted in? Third or fourth? But they took Dax Hill in the first. We took 
Cam in the second. Okay, so we took defensive secondary guys in the first two rounds because we knew that was going to be a need one year down the line. And that's going to be a need on this team with Tyler Boyd missing next year. So, yeah, you take the best available guy. You don't reach on anything. You take anybody that isn't a quarterback, that isn't a running back. I'd prefer a pass catcher. I uh, The way I think about it is it really depends on the free agency. Um, in my opinion, they're probably going to try to fill in their needs in free agency the best they can. I don't know if they're going to be able to fill it efficiently enough to not draft best player available at that said position, like where it marries the two together. <clears throat> Excuse me. And what I mean by that is in the first two rounds, I think they will pick a tackle. I think they will because they're not going to get someone long-term that makes sense at the right tackle position. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm. I see I see a real possibility of the Bengals going and getting a stopgap guy for the line. Um, someone like uh, Jermaine Elamior, he's the guy from the, the Raiders. I can't, I didn't pronounce his name correctly at all, but he's a guy. Next time, that, just say it really fast and act like you know. Yeah. So I, I, uh, he's a guy that I think that they could use plug in that uh, makes sense. He's cheap. Get him on a one or two year deal, rotational piece. Then in the draft, they're not forced to take in the first round, but in the first three rounds, you're probably looking at trying to fill in that need for a long-term spot. That's what I think their strategy is going to be. And because of that, I do think that they could potentially go for tight end because it's the same thought process. But the tight ends that are available are different, unique tight ends, right? Darnell right. Washington as a tight end is a completely different type of tight end than a Michael Meyer. And that's – I love Darnell Washington. I Obviously, I'm a Georgia guy. Maybe I'm a little bit of bias here. My only issue with Darnell Washington is, is that he's had knick-knack injuries throughout his entire career at Georgia. He'll miss a game here. He'll miss a game there. When you're that big, that strong, that fast, it's, it's you know, not to sound like Bill Nye the science guy up here, but it's physics. It's just science. That there's a more likelihood that those ligaments have a lot more stress on them than your average type of player. And my main concern, if I were to draft Darnell Washington, is, is, what, is his, what is his injury and or health going to be for the foreseeable future in the NFL? If he's healthy 100%, I don't know if there's one guy I wouldn't rather have because at the end of the day, Darnell Washington is basically a tackle. That's what he is. He's an incredibly blocking tight end that you could argue if he wanted to, he could play tackle. If you gave him a year and a half to two years, in my opinion, and you literally just sat there and did line drills time and time again, Darnell Washington could be a could be a legitimate offensive lineman. He just so happens to be incredibly athletic, and he can run around, and he has good hands, and he can catch the ball. So they stick him at tight end instead because that's more valuable to a team. My main point to this is if you are worried about drafting a tackle and you still want – a little bit of upside when it comes to possibly somebody that can run around and catch a ball. I think Darnell Washington is a perfect fit. The main concern I have, as I've said again, is all of that is relatively worthless if you can't stay on the field. And that is something that I don't know when we start grading guys out. Unless, because this is what I always hear, unless a guy has been severely hurt year in and year out, 
Nobody ever talks about their quote-unquote health. But if a guy like Darnell Washington misses two games here, comes back, misses one game, then he plays. You know, he left the, he left the Ohio State game in the first quarter. Now, he did come back and play in the national championship game, but that's the type of stuff I'm talking about. And I don't know if you know this or not. I'm sure you do. But the NFL has grown men in it, and college is a little bit different. So if you get hurt in college, there's a good chance you get hurt in the NFL. And the same could be said about Tua. That's the main concern I had about Tua when he when he came out of college is he reminds me a little bit of like a Darnell where, you know, he just gets hurt. And I don't know if that's a um, – maybe that's something that you shouldn't be able to project on guys, but that's how I feel about it. I hold guys I, I hold guys accountable for whether they play or don't play. And not to jump subjects, but Nick Senzel's a guy. I mean, he might be a great guy and an unbelievable player. But at some point, if you can't play, stay on the field, then you're worthless. So that's my main concern as a Georgia fan telling folks that are looking to draft Darnell is I don't know what that, what that looks like uh, from a health perspective. Um, I will say. Is that a this, dollar in the jar? That's like half. A, is it half? 50, 50 cents. 50 cent. The draft class this year is very top heavy and tight end. I mean, I was just looking at a mock draft. Um, very reputable guy, Mel Kuyper. Um, <laughs> I thought this was going to be like Smith. Like you were going to come up with some <laughs> random name, some name I've never heard about. He is before. very reputable. Case, right? he, he just, named, he named he just... the most famous mock draft guy in the business. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you, right, you're going to love this country singer, little Let's guy what... Garth Brooks. <laughs> Let's hear what Mel has to say. He's got four first round tight ends. Which is very, very crazy to me to think about. Um, Darnell Washington, Luke Musgrave, Dalton Kincaid, and Michael Mayer. Um, which only helps the Bengals, in, in my opinion, because you look at the rest of the draft. I know we're not like super high up, but there's guys like Kalijah Cansey that have been mocked to us that, are, that he's a really good defensive tackle. Broderick Jones at tackle from Georgia. Yep, I know you're player. familiar with him. He could fall to the Bengals. And there's guys like Dalton Kincaid that could fall down. You never know. Quentin Johnson, you could get a receiver there. I mean, th there's a lot of different potential picks there that I don't I don't know if there's anything really and it's really hard to predict the the back end of the draft. Of course it is. But I don't think there's anything at the current moment set in stone until after the combine, which I think starts – the interviews start today. Right. And then the actual action starts Thursday, and it lasts until, I think, Tuesday or something like that. It goes every single day after that. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the tight ends because that will really show and tell us if there really is for – in the first round. Or Do you fourth. put a lot of stock in the, in, in, into the combine? I'm just thinking to myself the other day, for as much technology as we have anymore, for as good as tape as we have on guys now, back in the day, maybe, when you, you had some guy coming out of Division two or maybe a, a lower level, we'll call it Division one school, right. What tape do you really have on this guy? Probably not a whole lot. So the NFL combine, you get a guy in here, you finally see him in person. But I'm to the point now, Casey, where it's like, I don't know how much stock I'm going to put into in, inside of two days of simulated drills and how fast a guy can run. Because if nothing else, I almost think like the combine 
at times is like is like the 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 cute girl at the bar it's like yeah, it might seem like a good idea to like fall for this trap of this short moment in time of this person because you know there's just it it, it looks good running a 40 yard dash or they look good doing a, a cone drill but you have like 20 games of tape of them actually playing the game that you're playing you can't evaluate them on that like why don't you just use that as like the end all be all and maybe they do and I'm overstepping my bounds here but I couldn't imagine I just couldn't imagine watching the NFL combine and Michael Meyer decides he's going to run the best run if he's ever ran in his life and he runs a whatever it'd be 4540 and Darnell Washington doesn't get a good start or vice versa you could use whatever player you want he doesn't get a good start on the line and he runs a 47 and it's like well that's the difference now? No way. I don't. I'd be curious to see what the chat thinks about this. I'm almost. I'm almost to the point now where I'm not saying it's a nothing burger, but the NFL Combine is just an optical illusion that the NFL puts on every year. It's just something to talk about. I don't know how the, much weight or merit it actually holds. The, the Combine confirms what they see on tape. That's what I've been told at least, and I don't know how much it really factors in. Like maybe 10, 15 percent. But let's just say Darnell Washington runs faster than expected people got him at a four six five i mean let's say he does run a four five eight that is incredibly different and that is something that would just boost his stock regardless of what we feel i mean as, as casual I do, fans do you i think would that, agree with you do, do you think that do you think that's reasonable though like do you think that that actually translates to the actual game because there's a wide receiver that 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 blew the doors off everybody. They got really excited, and he just so happened to get drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals. And how'd that turn out? Yeah, I mean, there's other factors there too, but I think I think what it shows is that there's a athletic profile there that you didn't think was there before, um, and that's what the combine is really useful for: is finding guys that maybe didn't blow you away in the stat column, but they tested so freakish and then they turn around and play in the NFL and they end up being a really, really good pickup because they're just an athlete above everyone else in the class. Can we run faster than the slowest person at the combine? Is there a chance? Can one of us run faster than the I, slowest yes. person yeah. at the combine? Yeah, a hundred percent. There's going to be some linemen there that we we're faster than. Okay. Yeah. hundred percent. Right, I was just wondering. I didn't know. I didn't know how how quick those linemen were running. What, I, I mean, what's a good forty time in the office here? Less than five, something along those lines. We got our, our our main man Darren back, who he is coming on the show. The head coach of Northern Kentucky, the Norse, who we'll get into. We're right out of Hamilton, Ohio. Who they have a guy named Trey Robinson that hopefully plays well for him down the stretch. Darren, thanks for coming on. I'm coming off the bench myself. I found out a few hours ago that I was going to do a show. I seen the lineup. I said, if he's willing to come on, I'm willing to talk to him, and we can have some fun chatting about college hoops. I appreciate you coming on, and and, uh, and I kind of likened it to the idea of you coming on here, you looking, and you realize that the best player fouled out of who you expected <laughs> to possibly see, and you're just trying to find that guy off the bench, and that's me. So here I am. Trace, thank you for coming it, it, on, March man. March Madness officially begins on Thursday. Right, and it's a That's next right. man up mentality. You got to do whatever you got to do. It's survive 
and advance, survive and advance, right? And and then if, and if you're in there number two, then you got to be good enough to step up and make plays when it counts. That's right. I don't know if I'm number two. I'm just the guy that they decided to slide in here today. So we'll start. <laughs> we'll we'll start with that. Let's start with that because I I I've, I've looked over your resume before the show. You obviously had been in a situation here before where you're no stranger to March and having some uh, what I would call some late runs in, into March. When does the when does the light bulb turn on, if you will? When the when the mentality switches from regular season to okay, we're now in a position where it feels like the games mean more. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, and I'm, I know there's coach speak out there, but there's got to be a time sure. frame in the season when that shifts. Yeah, you know, I, I really I feel like it's like towards the end of the year, right? Like the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, you can you can see the tournament, uh, you know, from there, so to speak, and. You know, I think that your guys uh, start to understand that the season's almost over. You're building towards a tournament. There's a lot of talk of seeding in our league. If you finish in the top four, you get a home game. Uh, you know, so that comes into play in the last few weeks as well. And so I really feel like it's the last couple of weeks heading into the tournament. Uh, you know, you start to build that up. And then, of course, the week of, uh, you know, you, you really flip the switch and say, hey, this is this is what it's all about. So you guys head into the Horizon League tournament as the four seed. You played Oakland uh, in a few short days. Now, uh, now that the, now that the momentum, or as you said, that that light bulb has turned on, how do you feel about your team to start the year versus now? Obviously, it seems like an incredibly long time. What what is maybe the most optimistic or the most positive thing that you didn't see that happened during this year that you didn't see for coming to start it? You know, I, I think the biggest thing, and, and, and honestly, we had hoped for it at the beginning of the year, but uh, what's happened the last couple of weeks, which, which for us we're, we're really excited about headed into tournament play, is that, you know, we, we feel like our bench and our depth has is, is, is really come along. You know, we, we've got more than just our starters contributing and, and, and not just in, uh, you know, coming in and giving solid minutes, but a little production on the scoreboard as well, right? And so, you know, again, at tournament time, you need all hands on deck. You never know who's going to have to step up and make a big shot or or who's going to get in foul trouble, and you need a guy to, to step in and maybe play some extended minutes, and maybe it just needs to be solid defensively. But whatever it is, uh, you know, we feel like in the last few weeks that, uh, you know, we've been able to go eight, nine deep, and, and those guys really contribute at a level that we don't feel like there's a lot of drop-off. And so that's something that's a real positive for us. And, and, and just in general, Trace, I mean, for, for us, our mentality is this whole thing is about three days in March, right? Uh, like, I'd love to go undefeated. I'd love to, uh, you know, be the regular season champs every year in the horizon. But, but it kind of doesn't matter, right? You're not making the NCAA tournament in our league unless you win the conference tournament in March. And so we're, we're pretty big about talking about being our best heading into March and, and three days in March and how we're built and the way we work. And, and so, you know, you, you, you start to uh, draw on all of that uh, as you get into tournament week as well. Uh, that brings up a very a very valid point and one that we've talked about in this office, whether it's fair or unfair. We've gotten to the point in college basketball where most of these teams are going to get judged based off of a tournament that happens at the end of the year. And you start playing in November, but most people pay attention to a four-week window and they say this team was was frauds or they were legit, whether that's fair or unfair. What is that like in the coaching circles, the fraternity within the coaches that that, that obviously within the Division One level? Is that something that's, I don't want to say frowned upon, disliked, or is that something where people are like, you know what, it is what it is. That's, if, if I'm going to get judged off that, then I'm going to live with it, and I'm not, I'm not upset about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just a reality of the situation, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of the nature of our business. Uh, you can do a great job uh, all year long. You know, I, I mean, there have been times where 
you know, maybe, maybe as a coach, you feel like you've you've done one of your better coaching jobs on the whole. But if if March doesn't show it with wins, then you know it, it doesn't really matter. You know, we we had an unbelievable uh, you know stretch last year. I think we finished like eleven and two in our last thirteen. Uh, you know, had uh, a lot of new guys uh, weren't really expected. I don't think to do a whole lot and end up in the championship game and, and play great with the exception of about four minutes and, and lost the game. And so uh, it's, it, it becomes a downer of a year. That, that, that just is what it is, you know, and, but, uh, you know, I also think for our guys, it's, it, it's a great lesson for life too, that, uh, you know, sometimes that's how things are. And, and, uh, you know, so what do you need to do to, to be your best when it matters most? I have a question that probably varies from year to year, but you look at these conference tournaments that are a, a one bid league and you realize, as you said, to, to start this interview off that it really just comes down to this. The regular season is what it is, but most people are going to, they're going to put all their eggs in the basket, which is the tournament. Do you like going into a tournament where you're the, the, the prohibit favorite, if you will, the one that, that's supposed to win, and if you don't win, it feels like a complete failure? Or do you like being more in a spot where maybe you're at now, there's three or four teams in the league that you could argue, you know, have every right to win the league? I know you'd probably say you'd rather be in the position to where you have the clearly the best team, but I would assume that there's a little bit of a burden that comes with that as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's both. Uh, you know, I, I think you know what, what real pressure is, is 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 not having what you need, right? What what is it? The old Lee Trevino or, or somebody used to say, pressure is when you got a hundred dollar bet on a putt and you got twenty dollars in your pocket. You know, like you know, pr pressure is when you don't have the ability to to do it at all. So yeah, if you feel like you got the best team, I think that's a great place uh, uh, to be in. You know, I, I think the more important thing is whether you have that team or not is, is can you get your guys in a, in a, in a frame of mind and, and, and kind of an attitude where, Hey guys, we're, we're going to go play loose. And we're going to go play confident, you know, cause the last thing you want to do is, is get tight at tournament time. And so again, that, that's a, that's a mentality you try to build during the year and then, and then really draw upon it uh, when tournament time comes. Cause that's, you know, at, at the end of the day, this game is about players and players got to make plays on both ends. And in order to do that, they, they, they got to be flying around and playing with some confidence, man. Yeah, your best players have to make the big-time plays when it matters the most for most teams to, to make runs in the NCAA tournament. And certainly to get in the NCAA tournament for many of the schools, such as Northern Kentucky, you got to win the conference tournament first. So the last, the last parting question I have for you is you've, been, you've, you've had successful runs. And correct me if I'm wrong here. I, I'm, I'm utilizing the Internet as a resource, so I don't know how accurate it is or inaccurate it is. At times it can, it can serve both. You were you, you you had one Sweet Sixteen run uh, as a as a head coach, correct? And then you also had right. a situation where you got a tournament taken away from you. Yes. When that tournament got taken away from you, and you sit here on the brink of an opportunity to earn your berth again, what do you miss most about being in the big dance? And when I say miss, it's not as if you know it's been forever, but nonetheless. How big of a difference is it for the experience of these kids that have been in your program for three or four years to get an opportunity to play in it versus not? Because you've had to experience it, but some of your guys haven't. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that was the biggest disappointment of, of not being the actual play in the tournament when we qualified for by winning the tournament my first year here, right, Trace? Is that, right. you know, we had some guys that had never competed in it or, or, or maybe some guys that were going to be in a different role being able to compete in the tournament. And so, I mean, the NCAA tournament, the experience itself is, is, is really uh, unlike anything else in, in, in college uh, basketball. And so, uh, you know, as a coach, you want that for your players. You want every guy that you coach uh, to be able to experience that because it's just, it's just something that they take with them and, 
and 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 can build upon and and uh, you know really cherish uh, for for the rest of their lives. And 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 I think the other thing is you know the NCAA tournament appearance, especially for a school like Northern Kentucky, it just it does so much for your school, right? In terms of exposure and and kind of uh, solidifying your 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 donor base and your alumni and bringing an element of pride uh, to your university. And so, and, and quite honestly, that's something our school could use right now. And so, uh, there, there, there's so many things that are positive that come from playing in the NCAA tournament that, uh, you know, you know, as a coach, you know, and, and I had it as a player as well, three different times and got to experience advancing twice. And so, you know, I, I've, I've been a part of it and, and, and at every kind of level, so to speak, player and coach. And so really as a coach, what you want it for is you, you want it for your players, and, and, and you want it for your university. And so uh, that, that, that's kind of my mindset heading into it. And, you know, again, we, we feel like our best guys are playing well. And, and, and here's the thing, Trace, that everybody in the area that might be listening needs to know. It's the beginning of March Madness officially, Thursday night, right here at Truist Arena in Highland Heights, Kentucky. And you know what? Xavier's not playing. Cincinnati's not playing. Ohio State's not playing. Kentucky's not playing. I know that one for sure because my son's on the team. That's I'm right. just telling you, you want to get your March Madness fix and get ready to maybe, maybe, maybe cheer on your team. You know, maybe Xavier or the Bearcats. Come in here and get yourself right on Thursday night by uh, back back in the local team in Northern Kentucky in tournament action. Fire me up, Coach. I, I there's not a better time of the year for me personally. I love. I love uh, just the passion that comes with college basketball, the do-or-die moments that exist, the, the, the late-game situations that you could never have imagined possibly ever happening, happening right in front of your eyes. And, uh, Coach, I don't know if you believe in speaking things into existence, but depending on where you wind up when you win the horizon and you possibly could get into this tournament. And um, last question for you. Do you like the first four? Do you think that's fair for teams that, that won their league, like as a 16 they have to go and play in the first four. Man, that's that's a great question, Trace. Honestly, I think that ought to be for the uh, you know eleven all the eleven seeds that you know were in high powered conferences that had you know a hundred opportunities uh, to to win games to to secure their spot and didn't. You know, I, I kind of feel like if you if you win your tournament, uh, you know, if we're going to include leagues like the Horizon League, then you ought to just be in the NCAA tournament. You know, the, those other schools, man, they had you know, how many chances during the year to get in, uh, and they didn't. Let, let, let them play that off in the first four if we got to get down to 64. Yeah, because I was trying to make a deal here. Obviously, we can go with the SID. It's like if, if, if you guys are able to make the tournament, we're going to speak that into existence on this show. We're an NKU show at this point. I mean, we're, we're going we're gonna to see if we can round up the gang and, and, and bring as many of our loyal followers as we possibly can and, and, and cheer on the Norse. And the reason I, I brought up the first four is because I almost feel like, and I don't, I don't want to uh, uh, swear on the show, but it's just wild to me that you could win the tournament, then you get placed into the first four, and it still feels like to the average fan that that's not really the tournament yet. When, it, when you, earned the, you earned every bit of the right to be in it. So I'm not speaking for you. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm more of proclaiming something than anything. But I just could not imagine me getting a deal done here. You win in the league, and you're like, yep, you guys, are. We'll, we'll get you some tickets. We'll get you to wherever we're going, and we're expected to be in Let's Columbus or, or, or wherever else. And next thing you know, we're told we have to go to Dayton on a Tuesday or, or Wednesday or whatever it is. And I, I, that would upset me to know to, to know to no end. Well, but, well I, I can tell you this. If that does happen – we're still in the NCAA tournament, and if we win, it's the first win. We are counting it as the first win in Northern Kentucky University history. 
All right, fine. Well, and, and it's a little bit of a shorter drive, so maybe I shouldn't complain of, of heading to Dayton. <laughs> yeah, we'll take go. we'll take it however we can go. But Darren, I appreciate you coming on here. I know that obviously you are a big fan of Tom. When Tom uh, gets some of his situations figured out, we'll uh, we'll reach back out to you. And I know that we enjoy talking basketball with you, and and um, hopefully we get to see the Norse playing late into March. Uh, but until then, take care. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Best of Tom. All right, see you, Darren. All right. Head coach of the Norse. For those that don't know, I uh, I have a little small place in my heart for the Norse. Not because Casey went there. I could care less about that. Um, it's mostly because uh, my head coach, or a coach that gave me a chance to play college baseball, Coach Deniman. He uh, he coaches at uh, NKU, and just the idea that that you know Darren didn't have to come on here. He could have seen the the email that that Casey sent and said, "Hey, Tom's not in today," and he could have blown us off and went on his merry way. But no, he. He stuck around and got an opportunity to uh, to enjoy some time with us this morning. So thanks to him and, and best of luck to the Norse. And we will continue to, uh, you know, follow the Norse. They got a guy right here from Hamilton, Ohio. Reed, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. His name's Trey Robinson. You ever heard of him? Trey Robinson, great ball player. Great. Oh, is that all you got for me? I mean, what else do you want me to say? I thought you were going to give the proclamation that you think that he might be the best player that you've seen play while chatterbox started if you will he's, he's one of the better players he's I, one I, of the better he's not the best say, he was great is they it won 18 games when he was here am i putting you on the spot by saying who is the best the best player the guy that keeps coming up in my mind anytime that they bring him up is kobe rogers and i don't know how he didn't go division one nate nate johnson up there at akron was great kobe rogers what down there in d2 somewhere he played for saint x he was he's fantastic i don't know who the best player is yeah logan duncan was great he was. Logan Dunk was a, was a Go really good player. Uh, PB's Ghost says, uh, what did he say? He said, hey, now, knock the Dayton bashing off. I lived in Dayton for 10 years. I think UD Arena is one of the best arenas in the country. I love UD Arena. I have nothing against the first four in regards to what it, to, to what it is. But listen, if you got a one-bid league, I guess this is where I'm going with it. The if you got a one-bid league and you win your conference championship, you shouldn't get stuck in the first four. The 16 seeds should not be in Dayton. It's not to take away from what Dayton is and the venue and the experience of the first four. It's one of the best events that gets put on of the tournament. It's so special. It means a lot to the city. It means a lot to the arena. It means a lot to everybody that's a part of it. But there should not be a 16 seed playing in that event. It's dumb. It's it's. You look at teams like, for example, a team that I know closer out to my house in D.C., Mount St. Mary's, They've been to the NCAA tournament, I think, three times in the last 10 years. But all three times they've gone to Dayton and they've never won a game. So they get to hang the banner that they make the NCAA tournament, but they don't get to play that 16 seed. They don't get to, you know, get the police escort to the arena in some city and wherever they get sent to in, in America. And they get the fun of traveling to wherever. I mean, I guess from Mount St. Mary's to Ohio, whatever. But you, you get the point that there is an experience about being in the NCAA tournament that you miss out on when you end up in Dayton, um, that it should be reserved for the 11 seeds, the last eight 11 seeds that get into the tournament. And all four 11 seeds should have to play their way in. Um, but that's just my opinion. I think that would be the absolute best way to do it. Stick eight 11 seeds in there and then the best four advance, and that's how you figure it out. Is it, is it worth saying that they get kind of get a chance to win a game in the tournament, though? Isn't that the, the catch-22 of playing another 16 seed? Because, what, I mean, we've been doing this tournament for 60 years now. 
or I guess it's been 40 years since the 16 versus one, and there's only been one time where a 16's beat a one. Yeah. So isn't the catch that you get a chance to win a game in the tournament and just not get drudging, bludgeoned, whatever that was? Yeah. Yeah, unless they play Purdue. I mean, if they play Purdue, there's a chance, man. I would love what to about, see Corpus what about, Christie try to stop What Zach about the golden, the golden Retrievers? Yeah, who'd they beat? USNBC, Virginia? right? I mean, U, what is it, UNBC? UNBC, yeah. UN, UNBC, man. If they got stuck in Dayton, they would have never got a chance to beat Virginia. That's Paul's team. So, <laughs> um, for those that don't know or haven't watched this show or haven't watched Box Lunch, Paul is completely out on Virginia. He's not a fan of it. Because they play um, defense. He's not a fan of defense. He and likes people score. that can put the ball in the basket. I don't blame you. I mean, like you've said before, and, we, and, and, and when Mick Cronin was here at UC, that was uh, Sean Spurlock, who you've seen in the chat, um, been part of Chatterbox in the very beginning. We've talked about this at length with Mick. He was a huge Mick guy, and I would always say, listen, my only thing against mixed teams, not against Mick, but mixed teams, is they have trouble scoring, which leads to really, really tight games. And when you get in the NCAA tournament, it feels like teams that have trouble scoring the basketball from time to time, there's more pressure that's put on them, and they don't play as well that they traditionally have throughout the regular season, and they, they're, up, they're prone to getting upset and or beat early. I'm not saying that was forecasted to a T at UC, but then he did go to UCLA, to be fair to him. But the reason they went far when he was at UCLA, Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, is because they had guys that could score the ball. They were, they were, they were, they were not the traditional rock fight type of team when he went far in the, in the tournament at UCLA. No, you're right. And that, the, the same thing with UCLA, though, is that they have, they have those guys back on this team, like Jaime Jaquez, Tiger mm -hmm. Campbell, those guys that made that run. I mean, that, that team, though, yes, to your point, uh, Trace, that was the 11th best offensive team in the country that year. They, they could score the ball. Uh, they, they, weren't just, they weren't just a team that went out there, defended the classic Mick Cronin-type team. Um, but, man, our guy Mick, he's got it rolling again. He does. He's I got mean, it rolling again. He does. For a, for a program that felt like they were the Nebraska football uh, of college basketball to a certain extent, and maybe Matt Rule will turn around the Nebraska Cornhuskers in football and they'll make me eat my words. But UCLA felt dead in the water. Felt like it was one of those programs that had a legacy but did not have any kind of identity in the modern era. And give credit where credit is due. Mick Cronin went out there and he changed that to a certain extent. And he's got them playing top 10 basketball almost every single year. And one could argue that they should be the one. They should be a one seat. I mean, I'm, I'm of the mindset that I think they should get a one seat over a team like Purdue if Purdue can't win out. But um that's here nor there if for, yeah. for what it's worth during that ucla run i'm looking at their scores right now they weren't breaking they weren't blowing the doors no. off of teams it was they, i'm looking at total numbers here right sure first, first game of the tournament 134 second game we're looking at 120 how many times did they, they score 70 points they scored 70 points three times all three of them were overtime games okay now, they scored 90 points in, in the Final Four against Gonzaga. They scored 88 points in Alabama in the Sweet 16. But in the Final Four, guess, like or the, the Elite Eight, guess what they scored? 51-49 was the final score of that Elite Eight game. That's what I think about when I think of Mick Cronin basketball. Right. And that's not a bad points. thing. That's not a bad thing. I'm not, I'm not here forecasting that it's terrible. It's just to Paul's point that sometimes when you get into the tournament play, those teams scare you because those are the teams that could lose to a 16 seed. Right? Yeah. I mean, could you in your right mind ever see an Alabama losing to a 16 seed? The answer is probably no. Nope. You there's too many possessions in the game to where the better team ultimately prevails. When you limit the possessions, 
you shrink the game down, which is why high school basketball from time to time has a severe problem because these teams that aren't as good, they, they want to stall ball, as, as you would say. Um, teams could possibly sneak in and win a game when there's low-level low possessions. And that's, that's a Houston type. That, I'm not saying that Houston's going to lose in the first round, but if you're looking for a team that is going to be a one seed that plays you know, low-possession type games, I mean, Houston is the 346th slowest team in the country. And there's only like 19 teams slower than them. Uh, PB's Ghost brings up a great point as well. And we've talked about this before. And I know, that, Paul, you're on one side of this aisle and Reed's on the complete up opposite side of the aisle. He says, uh, as were UD versus Xavier and UC, I'm assuming he was talking about when they played Louisville possibly, we need to bring back those rivalries. Mm -hmm. I think it'd be great because we have so many what I would call relatively good, if not great, arguably college basketball programs with this in, within this area. Right. The same way that they have the, the uh, I don't Crossroads know what, the, the, the Crossroads Classic. Thank you, Paul. You knew exactly where I was going yep. with that. The same way they have that, I would love nothing more than to put two games in one arena on a Saturday and they'll be all local teams and you Ohio just State you just transfer the them around teams. every year. Yeah. Ohio State and the, the other three big teams. What, what, why, why are you against Xavier and UD sparking that rivalry back up? I, well, there, there's... I think that doing it in that setting would be great. I think the home and home thing, it is, I mean, this just, it comes from a place of understanding where Xavier's scheduling is now at this point. They just will not schedule a game at Dayton, whether it's recruiting, they don't want to lose a game at Dayton. You know, you don't, you don't want to go to, Dayton, to an A-10 team and lose. It's not so much the Dayton thing. You just don't want to go to an A-10 team now at this point when you're in the Big East. I think that kind of is just, passed you by same with Cincinnati when they go to the big 12 it's just it's just a matter of scheduling now at this point where these coaches look at this and how they build their schedule and when you're in these kinds of leagues very rarely do you just go and play a mid-major team for the nostalgia but I do think that there is a scenario where like Chris Holtman was very open to it to bringing in that idea of a crossroads classic type event the problem then becomes if Xavier and Cincinnati get matched up against like does is it a tournament or is it just a, a like a round robin where you know two teams play each other and then the next you know whatever does it become Xavier and Cincinnati playing each other on a on a Sunday and whatever you know what's the contract sounds like, like they're scared sound, yeah, sound, I, sound, I, I mean I hate, I hate it, that. Sound, it no, sounds like, like I'm scared I, but it, it, yeah. it, 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 it's perfectly fine that's a good answer my problem is it sounds it sounds as if you feel like the risk isn't worth the reward when, it comes, exactly when right. it comes to the NCAA yeah. tournament. That's exactly right. But the right. problem that me and Reed keep harping back to is that it's like at some, at some point, the juice is worth the squeeze from just the, the local interest of college basketball, of keeping but, things fresh and keeping things fiery and keeping things fun. To a, I get it, the home-and-home home thing, maybe that doesn't make sense because you're admitting, if anything, Xavier fans and, and that athletic department is clearly admitting one thing. It's that UD Arena has an, has a very good, if not incredible, home court advantage. Who wants to go play in an environment that's very difficult to play in against a team that might struggle a little bit in a league that you don't want to have a bad loss to because it doesn't make any sense? Because the algorithms and the computer metrics, they don't know, you know, they're not giving extra credit towards certain buildings versus other buildings on road games. Yeah. Some road games are more difficult than others, as we all know. 
when you put the same team in there twice, right? You, I don't, mean, you I, don't get an extra bump in a metric just because it's a rivalry game and you have fun for the fans for nostalgia. These coaches are so zeroed in on making the NCAA tournament and setting yourself up for the best seed in March that they play the, they play the Crosstown shootout. They play that every year. These are two major conference teams. I know Cincinnati's been the American. I get it. They're going to the Big 12. That's, that's an irrelevant argument. When you look at Dayton and, you know, and, and somebody in the chat brings up PB's, PB's ghost brings up they have cupcake teams. Yeah, if Dayton wanted to come to Cintas, I'm sure they'd be open to that. But Xavier will never go to UD Arena as long as Dayton is in the A-10 because the metrics just don't reward that kind of a risk. Whereas if you go to, you know, if you have a, a Xavier-type team going to on the road to play a Big 12 team or a right. Big 10 team, whatever, that's you're really only playing like one or two road Like Xavier this year only played one true road game in the non-conference. That was at Cincinnati. Right. They're not playing a lot. You you play at home. Well, Sean Sean does bring up a point. Playing playing at Dayton is probably a Q one or Q two Q two game at worst in most years. I mean, one would argue playing against you know Butler and DePaul, which I know you're forced to do. Yeah. But ultimately, it's it's not going to be worse a worse loss than that. And this year, you're you've lost to both of those teams, and you're probably still going to have a relatively decent. I, I look at it from the perspective of a competitor. I'm not expecting to lose. That's fine. I'm going to go up to Dayton, and we're going to win. It'll be a Q1 or Q2 win, but, and we'll just add it to the resume. I know that's not how well, they think about it, but that's, here, that's here, my thought. Here's the other thing, too, and, and th this is kind of another way to think, about, to think about this. When you look at Xavier's schedule, they really only have about one or two open days of the season. They have, like, their four bye games that they play, right, mm -hmm. against whoever the, the – the Q4 games are that come in, whether it's like this year, Southern, Fairfield, Morgan State, those type right. teams, Norfolk State, whatever. Those type teams. They, they play about four of those a year. Then you have your three games in the, in the exempt event tournament over, over uh, Thanksgiving. Right. Then, you play, then you play your uh, Big 12 game in the Big 12, Big, Ten, uh, Big, Big East. East matchup. You play your Gavit game against the Big 10 team. You play the Cincinnati game. There's your non-conference schedule right there. You're only allowed to play a certain amount of non-conference games. And Xavier's in so many contracts right now with all of these, you know, the, the Big Ten Challenge, the Big 12 Challenge, all that stuff, that there's only so many open dates that you can't just add That's another fine, one. Paul. So, I hear a lot of excuses, which I'm is fine. Saying, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that there's not merit to Like, I also saying. just don't have – like, I personally, as somebody that comes from – like, I don't ever think – Dayton was not a rivalry to me. The only time we ever played them when I was in school – it wasn't a competitive game, one by thirty. I know all the older people care about Dayton. Like I don't, I don't care about. Like I don't care about playing that game. That rivalry means nothing to me. I never. I, it was never a connection to me. The only connection I have is a blowout win. So I know it. I appreciate the history of it because I've followed the Cincinnati area programs forever. Right. But like to the average, like my friends that I roomed with in college that didn't know Xavier before they came to Xavier have no idea anything about Dayton, that it was a rivalry, whatever, that nobody cares. It's the people in the area, and I get that. But, like, to, at this point where the programs are, they haven't played in so long, it just doesn't mean anything to anybody that's younger than 28 years old. All right, fair. I, I think, I, I, think I, I, would, I would, as a fan, right, and this is where Tra or Paul was making the point where, like, they don't make the schedule to service their fans, right? They, they, they yeah. do it to service the program. But as a fan... I want to. I I would much rather just take off one of the buys and like let's play competitive basketball. Like, why do I want to see them play Fairfield by a hundred? Beat beat Fairfield by a hundred. Beat mm -hmm. Morgan State. 
And I get that every program does that. You got to get wins. Yeah. You got to you got to put the wins. Got to get the team ready and get a lot of confidence before you start playing these more competitive ball games. But at some point, you want right. to just have a more fun season. Now that I agree with. Let's talk about Cal real quick, if you want, because I think sure. that that at the end of the day, you guys are. We could go back and forth on that topic forever, and I don't. It's not going to change, unfortunately. More times than not, decisions are made behind closed doors at, um, you know, the welfare of a program instead of the welfare of a fan. Almost all, all, all the time. And at no point in, in any in any organization, more than likely, are the Bengals, the Reds, or any college athletic program truly saying, "What's the best thing for our fans?" We'll, we'll do that over top the the best interest of our organization. It just. They might say that out loud. They might act like they, they care about that. But at the end of the day, if Xavier feels like they're going to get a better seed in the NCAA tournament or they don't want to have the opportunity of, of playing a game that they don't think they're getting fair credit for when it comes to the criteria of the NCAA tournament, then they're not going to play. It's, so, it's the same thing that we've heard in, heard here in Hamilton for years as to why Hamilton and Baden don't play each other. Yes. The, the Dayton-Baden or the Dayton-Xavier thing is it's a zero-sum game for – for Hamilton, right? Like they, they're, sure. spo- they're supposed to beat, they're supposed to beat Baden. Same with Xavier's supposed to beat Dayton. Are they though? That's that's where I would completely disagree. And we'll with this, we could go down a rabbit hole. I just I disagree with that. I think I think yeah, Dayton from time to time probably hasn't historically in the last twenty years been as good as Xavier. But there's been times where Dayton's just as good, if not better, than Xavier. And I would argue if Dayton played Xavier right now, Dayton have every bit of chance to win that game. It might be a one point spread for all we know. I don't. I well, don't think there's that big of a difference in the two programs. When was the, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that they had Obi Toppin were, the, were, were a number one seed in the tournament and they could possibly win it, have a chance to win the entire national It doesn't matter what the reality is, Trace. I'm just telling you what it feels like. I'm telling you. Well, that feels like you – that feels like – I think that feels like that because you're a fan of, of Xavier and you're not a fan of Dayton. If you were a fan of Dayton, I feel like you'd but be I think, a little I more – But I think – no, wait. I think, that's the, I think that's the point. I think you hit the nail on the head right there. Because it's the same thing when I went to Butler, like last week or two weeks ago, whenever Xavier played at Butler. Butler was doing a, a Xavier sucks chant every, every time out. And I asked a Butler fan, I said, are you guys doing this because Xavier is here? Or is this something you guys do every game? And he goes, no, we chant that at every game. I was like, I don't even think about, but like Butler's not even on my radar. I don't think about Butler. I don't think about them as a rival. And every time I get Dayton people tweeting at me about, you know, in my mentions or whatever, like... One of my best friends went to Dayton. I follow Dayton. I cover Dayton. I don't have anything against Dayton. I don't think about him. It's not a rivalry to me. But right. it seems to me like a lot of Dayton people care right. about beating Xavier. I don't care. In fact, I like when Dayton's good. It's fun. Makes yeah. my job better, especially on my podcast. I like covering them. I, the games are great. But for Dayton to play Xavier, it always right. seems to me like the Dayton fans care a whole hell of a lot more about playing Xavier. I would, than the other I would way suspect that's largely because of the leagues they play in. Yeah, that, that's that, true. That, that, that's, that's exactly true. that's what it comes down to. Listen, if Dayton was playing in the Big Twelve and Xavier was playing in the the A ten, right? Yeah, Xavier fans would probably be looking around oh, and like, oh yeah, we want to play Dayton. We want to we want to show <laughs> that we belong on that level. Yeah. So so that's fair. Let's yeah. talk about Cal because I seen uh, a Brian B in the chat talked about Cal stallballing at the end of a game. Um, I think Cal is a very controversial figure. For a multitude of reasons. One is he has a little flamboyant nature to him, right? He has, he has, uh, I don't want to say 
I guess I will call it a confidence because I don't like using the word ego because people think that anytime you use the word ego, that quickly gets turned into a negative thing. Cal gets punished for how much talent he has on his team. People will immediately point to the idea that look what he's done with this many NBA guys or look what he's done with this many talented players that everybody knows, whether it be DeMarcus Cousins or, or the John Walls of the world. And obviously when he was at... He was at Memphis. He had Derrick Rose. I I give him credit for that. I don't know if you guys feel the same. We'll get into this in a minute. But I say to the common folk that that that, that want to get on him about about how good of players he has and how they maybe have underperformed. At least he has them, because it wasn't that long ago that yes, I can't think of, Gillespie was there, and you didn't have those guys. They weren't roaming the halls at Kentucky. Billy Gillespie. You had bad players. So before we just completely act like he's, you know, terrible, you have to give him some credit for getting the guys in the building. Now, what he's done with them when he gets in the building can be a little bit controversial at times as well. Because what, what does he have to do to earn the respect from that fan base? And I think there's only one answer, which is probably the thing that we talked about before with Sean Miller going to a place like that or other coaches making that next jump to a place like that. To where, yes, it's nice to be at a place like Kentucky, but when your only expectation is literally to win the whole damn thing, it seems like a very unrealistic ask. And I say this in saying that when I've watched Kansas, if you want to go to another Blue Blood program, I've watched Kansas have incredible teams over the past 15 years, and they've won twice. One of them, you could argue, was on a complete fluke. And the team last year that won it all was probably, out of the 15 years that I've watched, their 13th best team. <laughs> so I get Cal's as a lightning rod. However, I lean to the side of Cal is a little... Uh, hold, your, hold, hold on to your seat for this one. He's a little undervalued at Kentucky. I don't think the fan base appreciates him to their fullest because if he leaves and they bring in the next guy just like they ran tubby out of there they brought in the next guy it didn't work out did it so i guess i'm not going to be up here and be a cal stan i do think there's times in, in in basketball games towards the end of games he definitely gets out coached i mean i i don't i don't i'm not saying he's a bad coach but he gets out coached yeah but I also am going to give him credit for the fact that he's got guys out there that might be just good enough to beat everybody. It doesn't matter what he does. So he should get credit for that too. He feels, he feels a little tired there, right? I mean, he's been there for 13 years. What's the longest tenured? Um, how long was Patino there? Probably less than 10. Tubby Smith was there right around 10 years. So he's one of the longer tenured coaches at Kentucky's in Kentucky's history. He won early on, but you know, pretty much in the past five years, hasn't done a whole lot. He feels tired there, continuously getting NBA talent and not doing a whole lot with it. And UK fans think in their mind that they're always going to get that talent because they always have gotten that talent, always have gotten that talent. And Coach Cal is a great recruiter. He did it everywhere he went. But at some point, he just becomes the same guy you see on your TV every, every night when they lose. And you need a scapegoat. So Coach Cal has just become tired in that program, and they're ready to see where it goes next. Is he the Dusty Baker of, of the U.K. Wildcats, as Dusty Baker was for the see, Cincinnati I, Reds? 
Well, I mean, Dusty was only with the Reds for, what, four years? I'm just saying, I'm not saying it's apples to apples, but to a small comparison of everybody's looking around, they're tired of not really being able to get over the hump. They've seen the success, but they're not, they're not all the way bought into it, and it just feels like you've said tired. It, it feels closer to what the Steelers might f feel recognized here coming soon if they don't win games, right? They've had Mike Tomlin. They're winning every year, but they're not getting to what the Steelers used to be. So that's where it feels like we're closer to. I don't think it's a one-on-one -on -one comparison with Dusty Baker because Dusty got that everywhere he was. Before even he was a coach for the Reds, he had this mantra, oh, he can't win the big one. That's why he lost his two previous jobs. So when you don't win the big one here in Cincinnati, that just added on with Dusty. I don't think that's the same way with, with Calipari, if that's what you're asking. I think Calipari's problem this season has been his stubbornness to change yeah. because it was so obvious what the problems were with Kentucky earlier in the season. And now that Severe Wheeler has got hurt, I mean, fans were calling forever for Cason Wallace to kind of get the keys to the car for this team. And I spent the whole rebound rundown today talking about Kentucky. And Good episode. Thank you. I, uh, Cason Wallace now finally has control of this team, and it's only because Severe Wheeler got hurt that Cal was forced into making this decision. And now, hey, look at what's going on. Over the last three weeks, Kentucky's been the fourth best team in the entire country. Fourth best in the country right. for the last month. And that's because they're doing exactly what everybody said all year. Now, that's not to say you listen to the fans when the fans want you to do something. But when everybody clearly saw the problem with this team and the offense being stagnant and everybody going nowhere and Cal just seemed so stubborn to play it in his own way because that was what he planned to do that was the guy that he had and here's what I'm going to do and I'm not going to change and now all of a sudden after Shibway had I mean he was the national player of the year last year and he was having a bad season you bring him out like we talked about on the show today you bring him out from under the basket you give Casey Wallace some more freedom and all of a sudden look what's happening they're scoring they're defending better. They're playing better. What I will be interested to see with Kentucky is whether this is a bit of a mirage. Not, not necessarily that I'm taking away everything from how well they are playing, but when you really dig deep into the schedule of, of how Kentucky is doing this, especially in the last three weeks, they have two very good wins over Tennessee. That's I'm not going to take anything away from that, but... Tennessee is not that elite team that I think we all thought they were. They have a road win over Mississippi State, which is a good win. Florida was missing their best player. And Auburn, they got at home. And Auburn, just for what it's worth, and the credit to Kentucky, Auburn did not play well. But they also were coming off that loss to Georgia and a blowout loss to Arkansas. Now they've won four in a row. I'm just, I'm just maybe tempering my expectations with Kentucky. Sure. But they have shown offensively the ability to get to the Sweet 16 now in the last couple of weeks, which you couldn't say a month ago after they were losing to South Carolina. No doubt. And I think that there is something to be said about the idea of clamoring to this thought that you originally had. Coaches, elite-level coaches, high-level coaches, are still human beings. Most human beings are, are, that have any kind of competitive bone in their body, they, they want to be right. And sometimes to a fault. I do feel like there are times where coaches, not just Cal, but other coaches, they make the decision in their mind that this is the way they're going to do it and they're going to die on the hill come hell or high water. And unless Wheeler gets hurt 
or he gets, <laughs> as some might have pointed out, maybe it was a fake injury to where it's like, hey, we're going to bench you, and then all of a sudden there's an ankle issue that pops up. I've seen this happen, and it's a case in point. Again, I always harken back to things that I've seen at Kansas because that's the program that I've watched extensively throughout the last 10 to 15 years. There was a guy named Abaji that you probably remember from last year. He came out and he played his first game at Kansas his freshman year. He came off of, quote-unquote, the redshirt bench, if you will. He was getting redshirted his freshman year. They were struggling. They brought Abaji in. He started playing pretty damn well for a few minutes. Then all of a sudden, he played a little bit more. And then by the end of the year, you're like, he's one of the best players that we have, period. How in the hell was he getting redshirted? And my main point is, is that sometimes you just make mistakes. Sometimes as coaches, you just don't see something in a guy that, that, that's right there in front of you. You guys are laughing. I don't know what, what, uh, what I'm missing here. Read in the chat. Adam Kunkel. You guys, I like Adam Kunkel. I, I love Adam Kunkel. I don't got Reed nothing. hates the him. Worst. Reed hates him. He's the worst. Yeah, I don't know. But I think Cal, Cal missed on the Wheeler Cal. thing. Yeah. But Cal missed on the Wheeler thing. And at this point, it's irrelevant because he's got it fixed. However, we'll see how it goes. Um, Remy Martin, same kind of guy last year for Kansas. Remy! Did, did not get any love at all from, 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 from Bill. Dude was playing like four minutes a game. And without Remy Martin, Kansas has no chance to win the national championship last year. He finally starts playing them more. And um, there was injuries involved with that whole situation and, and saga as well. But I guess the main point in this is sometimes the people that sit in the stands aren't completely clueless, right? Yeah. I mean, we watch a lot of basketball. People that sit in the stands watch a lot of basketball. Their, value, their, their opinions might not be as knowledgeable as a head coach that's done this for 20 years. But sometimes you're too close to the fire too, right? Like sometimes you're so you're so close to a situation, it's hard to get clarity, which we've joked about from time to time here on this show. Right. As I've said, like I like I said the other day, and Paul, I'll I'll I'll, I'll say it now that uh, we're in here. The other day, I'm I'm sitting around, I see on the not too picky graphic, you're picking Virginia, getting four points at Carolina. I'm like, my man is so entrenched in college basketball, he can't just see that that is just like, just a sucker bet of all time. Like that makes no sense. It makes no oh, sense. Yeah. It makes no sense that Virginia's getting four. You can't. You can't place that bet. Oh well, I didn't. I know you did. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes you're too close to the fire to be able to see it. Yeah. Um, all right. Last thing I want to talk about with the Bengals here is we kind of go back and forth from topic to topic. Do we to have Tracy to topic. on today? We do. Okay. Yeah. We're also open to phone calls. All right. Okay. So eleven thirty is uh, Tracy Jones, I do believe. So really quickly with the uh, the Bengals as we've kind of uh, bounced around. From a free agent perspective, mm -hmm. the, 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 the hot commodity things that you see on the internet from time to time is, oh, could they trade and could they go get Jalen Ramsey? Or is there a chance that they sign Taylor Luan? Is it Luan or Lewin? Luan. Luan. Yeah. Uh, could, they, could, they, could they sign Taylor Luan? Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner. Kenny Galladay. 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 I don't think you guys need any more Kenny Galladays. Just saying. I could be wrong. Do you guys keep drafting wide receivers and weapons and tight ends? We draft them well. Yeah. Maybe you guys are on Maybe the Bengals are on to something. Forget line. That's my point. Forget the linebackers. Forget all of the positions that some people. Well. well, I'm not saying you don't draft them well. I'm saying you don't draft them like high. You're not taking a. Uh, am I wrong on that? I mean, you're not. Logan you're, Wilson was Logan Wilson was the, the second highest. round pick. Well, okay, second round. But I'm just saying you're not taking a, a top. 
15, 20 pick with a linebacker. You're going to send no, that. You're going to sp- no. you're spending oh that on God. the best wide receiver in the draft because oh that's what God, we do. No. A top 20 pick, get a linebacker. What are you talking about? What is this? 1930? If Ray they Lewis leatherhead helmets? What are you talking about? If Ray, I, I got a sincere question that you're going to make a, a complete ass of yourself right here by saying this. If Ray Lewis was in this draft and you knew what Ray Lewis was about and you knew all of Ray Lewis's things, now you could argue that maybe the game's changed since Ray Lewis played. But my point is, right. if Ray Lewis was in this draft and the Bengals had a top ten pick and he was sitting there right at number nine and you had the ninth pick of the draft. Would you take Ray Lewis? Probably, but I also got to ask you this. Oh, I, I, yeah, probably, baby. I probably got to ask you this. Right, if Ray it. Lewis comes out 20 years later, drafted in 1996, if he's drafted in 2016, is he as valuable as a player in today's game as he was 25 years ago? The answer is obviously no, not as valuable. You're right. The game has drastically changed. A slap-hitting shortstop isn't very valuable anymore. It's a damn shame because that's what I was. A, a six foot or seven foot two center that I mean Zach Zach Eady playing thirty years ago is drafted in the top five of the NBA draft. He might not be drafted in the first round. Games evolve, evolve with it, brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's like that is hilarious. Reed Mouse has decided to just flip this whole thing on its head. He doesn't want a running back, and he doesn't want any linebackers. He could care less about the position. In fact, I'm genuinely serious when I say if the Bengals don't select a running back and or a linebacker in the next two drafts completely at all. Fifth rounders. You'd be fine by it. Fifth rounders. Get like a fourth round running back. Third, ah, third fourth, fifth, something. Just not the first two rounds. You get a running back in those. You'll be fine there. You'll be more than fine. In linebacker, we've got Logan Wilson. Logan Wilson's my favorite defensive player on the Bengals. But, I don't know. Pratt's don't know. gone, by the way. Jermaine Pratt's probably gone. Probably. Probably. Have you seen this man? He's gone. He's gone. He's gone like yesterday. Well, we, we can get another one. You can get, you get, get, a, cheap, one. You get a cheap linebacker in the, in the free agency. Which is fine. Same rocket science. Which is fine. I'm not arguing whether he should stay or go, but just based off his comments, you can't bring that guy back. I, I'm being dead serious. If people in the chat think he should come back after what he said, this guy's out here popping off left and right. You can't, you can't, be, you can't be out here degrading your coaching staff based off of, of when they're when they're saying that you're going to play and not play and expect to come back and play for that very same coaching staff the next year. Is that, are we being serious right now? I, I agree. I'm, I, I'm out on Pratt. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like if they bring him back. I'll, I'll, I'll take him. But like if he's gone, I'm just indifferent, I guess is what I'm telling you. I'm indifferent on Pratt. He was a great player. Obviously had one of the, the greater moments in, in my Bengal fandom history when he intercepted Derek Carr to win that game, win the first playoff game in 30 years. It's one of the best moments of, of sports in my life. But kind of out on him. I don't know. Indifferent, I guess I should say. You know, I think uh, here's my, my future hot take. I don't think we see a dip in production at all at linebacker next season. I think ADG yeah. is perfectly fine there. I mean, he had the interception, the playoff game against the Bills. It's, I don't know. It's almost like it's the least important position on the defensive side of the ball. And it's like Jermaine Pratt's popping off to me. Like he's, you know, like he's, 
I don't know who's the guy that plays for the who's the guy that plays for the 49ers that it's just escaping me Fred right now. Fred Warner. Yeah, he's not Warner. I mean, it'd be one thing if, if if Fred Warner's popping off saying some stuff like what he's saying. I mean, Jermaine Pratt, with all due respect, I'm not suggesting he's even a a, a, a below average player. Maybe an average or above average player. But you are what you're worth, and you're as we've seen in sports all the time. You can only get away with so much. If you're Jamar Chase and you're saying those types of things, you can get away with it because the leash is a little bit longer the more and more valuable you are to a franchise. Joe Burrow could go out and do whatever the hell he wants in Cincinnati right now Damn outside right. of maybe killing somebody. Ah! <laughs> and, and, and he's still the starting quarterback in Cincinnati next year. Now, he's not going to do that. No one's rooting for any of him breaking laws or whatever, but you see the point stands. Jermaine Pratt's not that guy, man. He's not that guy. He's, he's not a guy that can go out here and start talking reckless and then expect us to walk back in the locker room and everything be okay. Hey, at least, yeah, once he starts playing on third down, though, you better watch out. Right. You better watch out. He's going to be something. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's out here talking reckless, heading to the locker room in Kansas City, and then you follow it up with that. I mean, he just he's reminds me more and more of a little bit of a diva, and I don't really like divas that play for my football team. Maybe Maybe Cincinnati does, but I just don't see it. I don't see – there being enough value at the position for the distraction that he could become. Damn right. Simple as that. Um, Trace, I got to ask you a question. I got to answer it. Sir, we had a Sir bomb earlier. We did. The Falcons uh -oh. have released Marcus Mariota. Uh-oh. Officially naming Desmond Ritter QB1. Did they say Desmond Ritter's no, QB1? I mean, of course they didn't. So... I mean, they could draft another guy. So, if you're a conspiracy theorist, if you're one of those guys that believes the NFL has a script and they stick to it, yeah, I don't know if you've seen the uh, Twitter files, but um, Lamar Jackson supposedly probably was made up, if we're being completely honest, hand up in the air of saying that I don't know if this is factual or, or not. But there were screenshots of people scrolling through the Falcons website last week with the number one jersey with Jackson on the back of it. Lamar Jackson jersey. So if Lamar, listen, if Lamar Jackson goes to the Falcons, there will be, you want to talk about the tin foils at people coming out of the woodworks? There's going to be so many people that do believe that the NFL is completely scripted that it's going to be insane. Prepare yourself for that, folks. Could you imagine if the NFL was scripted, what it would take to pull that off behind the scenes? Like just, just for a second. Play that game. The amount of conspiracy. If it was fully scripted. Right? I'm, t I'm talking about if, like, if, if all these memes were true and it came out in 50 years that the NFL was scripted, the amount of conspiracy that it would take to convince thousands and thousands of people every year. I mean, I'm talking about thousands, like the right. players, the personnel, okay. the front office, everybody. Let's put on our tinfoil hat. All right. I'm, oh, it's on. Let's put the tinfoil hat on here. What about just convincing 40 people? How many people, how many refs work on a game? Four? Four or five refs? There's I thought nine, it was like seven. Thought, oh, yeah, there's like seven or nine or something oh, like man. that. Okay, so you're going to convince about 80 people, around 100 yeah, people. Sure. I don't think every ref needs to be in on it. I think that the back judges, hey, hold a lot of weight. You can say whatever you want. There's only a few positions that, that really are, are on a NFL referee slate that you could argue really could be in on it. The referees won, and all of the back judges. Because in the NFL, until they change the pass interference penalty and or holding penalty, 
I got news for you. Those are the two most lethal penalties you could possibly have in a football game, and you can change the outcome of a football game like that. And we've already seen it. I don't need to go through it. You guys know what I'm talking about. If you call a holding penalty, automatic first down. If you throw a flag on any kind of pass interference, it's more than likely a 20, 25, 30, 40-yard penalty. The referee, you call holding, which there's holding every play, as people argue. You call holding, sets the offense back 10 yards. Have you, have you ever watched I don't football? believe the NFL scripted, by the uh, way. Yeah, n- none of us do. Well, no. have, have you ever watched a football game with an uncle, grandpa, your dad, and not heard the phrase, you know there's holding every every play. I mean, it's just whether or not they see it or call it. It's never I've never watched a game of that not be brought up at least one time. Every Thanksgiving you ever been to, the uncle's like five feet from like two feet from the screen, just looking at him like, man, they could call holding every play. No doubt. Every punt. Oh, where's the flag? Here uh, there it is. Blocking the back. Blocking the back. Call that from a mile away. Right. No, there's there's something to the idea of of people that watch sports casually that want to is there anyone worse that when you're at a party and you're watching a sport that you care a lot about or a, de- a decent amount about or you know a lot about and there's always that casual one random person that's just saying outlandish stuff that's like you know all oh, that's pass interference and it's like no that's 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 not pass interference i don't want to sit here and argue with a relative of mine right now but it's just like you just you're just scratching your head thinking like this clearly is how you get on the internet and you see some of the dumb stuff that's said is because people like this that don't have a name or a face to whatever they're saying can say whatever they want. I, um, I hate when like people that don't watch sports a whole lot, it's late in the game. There's a penalty or there's something controversial. They're asking you to explain what's going on in full detail because they don't watch the game. They don't understand it. So now like I'm like I'm sweating this game out. Like the Bengals are on the you know, getting ready to lose, getting ready to win, and and like someone's just like, wait, wait, whoa, 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 what does that mean? Why, 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 why are they going back? I thought they just scored. Like, why is there like a yellow marker on the screen? I'm like, God, like I, I'm gonna choke you right now. Like, get, get out of my face. Sounds uh, that sounds like a very personal problem, doesn't it, fellas? That that sounds right in line with some of the read mouth stories that we've heard on this show before. <laughs> I won't put you on the spot. Don't say nothing at all. Right. You get yourself in trouble. Yeah. But based off the conversations we've had with Reed on this show and other shows before, I think you can probably figure out where Reed runs into that problem from time to time. Um, yeah, look at Everett. Everett hit it. Nail <laughs> right on the head. Lure up. I'd say it's not scripted, but it's obviously biased. That's 100% fact. Humans are biased, period. So I don't care what anyone says. Some of these referees probably like certain quarterbacks more than they like other quarterbacks. They're willing to go a little bit farther to protect a certain quarterback that they think's funny or they enjoy before the game than others. I do. That's 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 just human nature. That's human nature. Um, so anyway, let's get to one other topic that I wanted to talk about with the Bengals, which is I don't think they should go out and do a damn thing in free agency outside of possibly – did they taking some the lower lo- in baseball or football? I don't know if they have the best roster in in in, in baseball. Is that what you said? Yeah, I mis- misspoke originally. I'm trying to think to myself as uh, as we are trying to get the tracer on uh, we have, as we speak. Don't we have sponsors of this show? We do. We do. We do have sponsors of this show. Uh, you want to get to those sponsors? Let's oh. do. Let's let's let's. Uh, actually, let's just have fun with it. Do, let's do this. You throw me. The Pony Ball. All right. Just throw it to me. Let's, let's, just don't, this is going to be fun. Boom. Right here. Look Ooh. at that. Athlete. What kind of water is that? It's Pony Water. Reed, do you know where this water's made? Let's just do a quiz. 
It's made here in the great city of Hamilton. It is. You know, I actually, how do they, how do they, they just delivered it. it. They, they just, just delivered it. You just delivered some? They just, I, they just walked by. How do they Beautiful. filtrate it? Um, what do you mean? How do they filtrate it? They oh. filtrate it through filtration? Natural. Lime, natural limestone filtration. Oh. And it's premium alkaline water, Ooh. if you didn't know. Ooh. If you have never heard of Pawnee water, by the way, if you don't know what Pawnee water is, uh, or what Pawnee is, it's actually, I believe, uh, figure this out for me, Paul. You, you got a computer in front of you. Yeah. It's a, I believe, type in Pawnee, because I think it's actually water for another language. I got to figure out what language it is. Hindi. Hindi. Yeah. Yep. Right. So it's actually water in Hindi, but P-A-H-H-N-I. Pawnee technology. Pawnee technology. And uh, <laughs> yeah, what about that yesterday? Um, we won't get into that, but Tom, we love Tom. Tom Tom from time to time, he just has gold gems that he doesn't even know that he creates because he, 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 he Googles. Mudita. Mudita yesterday, which is, for those that don't know, Mudita is a term that's used in uh, Buddhist. What is it? It's, it's a, a Sanskrit term. Yeah, I think it's Buddhist. Yeah, so Buddhist, it, it means uh, enjoy the success of others. And and uh, my man Tom Googles it, and it's sure enough, there's a Google ad that's right there in front of him. That's Moodus Technologies. Some company decided to say Moodus. <laughs> Tracy looks like he has some, some incredible internet right now. And Tracy Jones is coming on with Encore Technologies. That is our other sponsor. What do you know about Encore Technologies, Tracy? I know that John Burns is the guy that runs the, the ship there at Encore, and he is Elon Musk of the Midwest. He is the smartest guy I know. Brilliant uh, as far as handling employees, technology that Encore has uh, off the charts. Love that company. Tracy, love where are you at right now? And I love deal. I'm in uh, a place called sunny Southern California. Here's the problem, Trace. It's rained every friggin' day since I've been here. It is just, it's cold. That Casey, a video where we actually had hail and a little bit of snow. I've never seen that on the beach in Southern California. California is a great place, boys, and I know you'll never get there. I mean, a big trip for you guys is going to Metamora or something like that. But it, it, it is not a great place if the weather is bad. And the weather has been bad, rainy, and very cold. So hopefully... <laughs> when I'm leaving Sunday, it'll kind of turn around, but it's supposed to rain again today. Now, when you go to a beach like that and there's snow on the ground and it's one of those beaches where clothing is optional, as you say, it, right. is, is that a difficult situation I would assume to handle? What do you do in a spot like that? I assume you just pack it up and go home or what? Well, that beach is very secluded. So I like to sometimes just wear a, a like a thong. And remember, boys, and I've talked about this, remember, potato in the front, not in the back, right? You don't want the, the bill. So, yeah, I, I really enjoy California when it's nice and sunny, but it's enjoy my <laughs> you guys because I've, I've been wanting to talk about this and it just, it's kind of breaking news and I've got goosebumps. Really? Are you ready? I'm hoping I'm, I'm ready. I'm also ahead. hoping I'm also hoping that your that your internet's going to hold up so we can hear this whole entire story because I'm I yeah. am actually ready. Don't you? I mean, Elon Musk is right around there. Although they kicked him out of California, I think he's in Texas now. They could you could they could use some internet out there. It looks like. Yeah, they could. But I'm actually getting a bobblehead. Uh oh, oh, it's a big wow. deal. I've always wanted to get a bobblehead, Florence. 
Florence Uwals, the guy independent team, they're going to have Tracy Jones August 16th. August At the 16th. game, you get a Tracy Jones bobblehead. This is a big deal for me. I've always wanted to get a bobblehead. Now I have my first bobblehead. Instead of my picture in front of the Ham and Eggers, you can now, which is very cool. And might as well, I'm going to start. They give you extra bobbleheads, and I'm going to sell bobbleheads. So how many can I put you down for, Trace? Uh, depends Here's on the cost. The Do we have a cost associated with those yet or no? Yes, absolutely. It's a great deal. Let's hear $25 for one, That's for two, $60. Great deal. Uh, you can't beat it. And also, Casey... Listen, you're going to get, you don't have to pay for one, Casey, because that's what you're getting for your wedding gift. Uh, Polly, how many can I put you down for? What, what, what's a cost for three? 150 Yeah, around there. Shipping and handling, if you figure all of it. And do you guys want me to sign the bobblehead? Well, the, yes I, or no? there's no doubt that I know where this is going. When it gets signed, where does that take us? $5 more. So I think all in all, you just send me, a, I'll send you guys a couple. We'll just round it up to $100, a, a C note. So, yeah, but I am kind of excited. It's kind of cool because I've never had one. So I will definitely get you guys some some bobbleheads. Very now, excited. this is breaking news, and I hope this is dead dead serious because one thing I have a sincere question about with these bobbleheads is if you got a rendering of it yet, do we know what it looks like? Is it is it Tracy on the beach? Is it Tracy playing for the Reds? Is it Tracy playing for the Giants? Is he playing for the... The Expos? Is he playing for the Tigers? Who is Tracy Jones actually being with this bobblehead? Is it is it all of them? Because if it's all of them, it should be a hundred dollars a bobblehead. That's a great question because I really I gotta get the remnants today, kind of get the mold. It's shipped off to China and it's four months in developing. I will tell you this: the hat will be on backwards. I'm gonna have my Oakley sunglasses. I'm gonna have my wristbands. The jersey will be dirty. The, the, the pants will have blood on it. I will be wearing my high po uh, high top pony cleats that I used to wear. To, you guys have sway before your time, but I used to wear those. And then uh, I, I don't know my stance. Should I do like how I used to hit or what do you guys think? Well, how would you like to see? I, I, I'm going to wear you all's uh, shirt. So maybe a different, I, I don't know. I want to get the Expos in there. Of course, I got to get the Giants, the top. You know, I played for five major league teams. So there's right. a lot going on there, a lot of decisions to be made. Well, that's one of those decisions that, that the, as they say, you should sleep on it. Because when you make big decisions in life, there's folks that, that <laughs> they think that you shouldn't really rush the judgment. I'm not sure I'm in a place or a position right now to try to make that executive decision right on the spot of what it should be. We should give us some real well-thought-out uh, decision-making time, and we'll be back better than ever maybe tomorrow morning we'll send you a text on what we think that should look like but please do please yeah. please do and guys it was funny because i was trying the guy who who's going to do it for me needs a 360. so i really wanted to try to uh get my pony cleats that right. i wear the high top pony because i think they're pretty cool i mean they're ugly but that's what i wore so i went down into my basement in my uh I, i've got like cages in my condo that I haven't been to and I haven't opened up this, this, this trunk in about 30 years. It's my memorabilia. And I was going through it and looking for my pony cleats. I found the pony cleats, 
But you know what was really neat? I know I joke around all the time, but I found a bunch of baseballs signed by Hall of Famers that I had played with. Wow. And I'm thinking, how cool is that? And I just kind of stumbled on them, upon them. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I think of my career and you, know, you get kind of upset some of the things that went south. But man, did I play with some really good players. Can I can I give you the names of the players that I play with? How many how many Hall of Famers do you think I played with, Trice? Well, I am I am not the baseball reference savant that Reed Mouse is. I will pose the question to Reed. He can't hear. Tracy is asking, how many Hall of Fame players do you think that he played with? My initial guess when you asked me that was five. I don't know why that came to my five. mind, but five. I think that's a good mind. guess. He played with two at least at in Seattle between Randy Johnson and King Griffey Jr. Played. This guy's ridiculous. Played with Pete Rose. He played with Alan Trammell. Did Lou Whitaker isn't in yet. Played with Jack Morris. He played with, I would say, somewhere close to 10. 10? Nice, Reed. All right. Here we go. You ready? Here's Let's the names. See. This this give you goosebumps. Now, pay attention, Trace. You're not paying attention. I'm I got trying. Barry Larkin. Barry Larkin. Barry Larkin. Barry Larkin. Tony, Tony Perez. Tony Perez. Tim Raines. Tim Raines. Goose Gossage. Goose, Goose Gossage. Goose. Trammell. Alan Trammell. Jack yeah. Morris. Jack Morris. Sparky Anderson. Sparky yep. Anderson. The best hands in baseball as far as infielder. Omar Vizquel. Yes. Best all-around hitter that I put. Edgar Martinez. The unit Seattle. who I used to go out here. I was his road buddy. We would go out to, to strip bars. Randy Johnson. Photographer now. Ken Griffey G can give Griffey Jr. And here's some balls that I had that didn't get. I mean, they're not Hall of Famers, but if you think about it, Dave Parker, yep. Concepcion. How about this one? Veda Pinson. He was my hitting coach. Pete Rose. He's not in the Hall of Fame. Lou Whitaker. Reed mentioned it. And that's a lot of players. That's like 16 Omar's players. Not in the Hall of Fame they could have been. Vizquel. Who isn't? Omar Vizquel isn't in the Hall of Fame. Should be. He isn't? No. Well, he, he'll he be in the Hall of Fame. You sure that? Okay, so so we're down to 10. There, there I go, exaggerating <laughs> again. And I look at all the players there, and you know the best that I ever played with is not there. And you know who that was? And I, and I played with a guy, Kevin Mitchell, MVP with the Giants. Cecil Fielder, we lost 100 games, MVP. Mm. The best player I ever played with? Who do you think? Best player Tracy Jones ever played with that wasn't on. He said he did not list him. Eric Davis. Did you play with you Eric Davis? You got it. Eric Davis. You I, got it. Reed Mouse is like a damn. He's some kind of. He's, he's on baseball <laughs> reference too much. You know you know those guys that know too much about baseball. You're like, what are you doing all day with your time? But Eric Davis. You think Eric Davis is the best player that you've ever played with? As far as what I saw with Eric Davis, he was he was so talented. He was a guy kind of like Junior who could turn it on and turn it off. I saw Eric Davis in Philadelphia hit a home run to left, center, and right in a ball game that was it was cold in Philadelphia, it was windy in Philadelphia, and I was just sitting there watching him pick balls off the ground and launching them in the stands. And then and nobody really talks about this with Eric he could still second and still third base. And you know what, Trace? There wasn't a damn thing that catcher could do about it. He was that good. 
And then also remember, I mean, I remember stuff about Eric Davis. I don't remember a lot of the other players. I remember when Eric Davis robbed Jack Clark in consecutive nights at Riverfront yeah. when he reached over the fence and caught it. And I remember one catch, it was so far over the fence that the fence was like this. He reached over it, if you can believe that. That's the visual that I saw from left field. And I screamed like a little girl. I couldn't believe that he made that catch. But I think Eric, if he had stayed healthy, would be on that list of Hall of Famers. I thought he was that good. When you're coming up, when you're coming up through the minor leagues, Tracy, and you see guys obviously all over that are touted as prospects or touted as maybe the next guy that's going to be that's happening currently right now in this Reds franchise to where they're they're got a list of names of people that they think are going to be the next big time player within the Reds franchise. When you're an actual player in the organization and these guys are starting to kind of get hand plucked, if you will, whether it's from the fan base or whether it's maybe genuinely from the front office where you, you and you're one of those guys. And maybe you weren't this guy. You were one of those. You, you were the Ellie De La Cruz's of the world, Tracy, back in the day. But my point is, do you think that from time to time can be unfair to some guys that are playing really good baseball, but for some reason they don't have the, the, the sheer, clear advantage from an athletic standpoint that allows them to be put on the same pedestal, per se, but they might be just as good, if not better, actual ball player? some of these other guys how many times do you feel like that happens at a minor league level when they're just not theoretically the top draft pick but they're just a better player they just happen to be drafted in the 15th round oh well trace here's the deal with that if you're not one of the top draft picks you're not going to get the opportunity that that first rounder is getting right because they spend the money if that guy is a first if that player is a first rounder he's 90 percent of the time he's going to play in the big leagues he doesn't have to hit 300 all he has to do is stay healthy, and if he—I promise you, this happens. If he just hits 250, or, he, or you know, he wins some games as far as a pitcher and and, and throws pretty hard and, and and can spot his pitches, he'll play in the big leagues because they'll push that guy. Now, if you're a guy that just signed out of a, a you know a, a camp, and that's happened. That happened to a guy by the name of Jeff Treadway, who I played with, signed out of a, a tryout camp, which is a very cool story. Yeah. But Treadway. And I played with him for two years. He had to be right there all the way. I mean, he was second in the league in hitting both years. And he, he, he didn't win the batting title. There was a guy by the name of Tracy Jones that won that batting title. He was always finishing second to me. And I used to bust his balls all the time on that. I said, Tread, one of these days you're going to win a batting title when I'm not here and I'm in the big leagues. But he was a good ball player. Well, I I have uh, I don't know if you got into this with Tom yet on on uh, if you spoke with him with the pitch clock I I won't share my opinion on the pitch clock so I don't uh, not that I would persuade you in any way shape or form but your overall impressions of it have you got a chance to see it at all I know that it's been difficult to maybe to watch some of these spring training games but have you seen it do you like it initial thoughts Yeah, Trace, I actually have a life. Now, if you're like Reed or the Ham and Eggers, who that's all they do is they sit there and friggin' watch, you know, ball games and go to Pornhub. I actually do things where I'm actually out there, you know, having a good time. I will eventually watch a ball game and give you my breakdown. I see where Max Scherzer thought it was a good thing. He liked the pitch clock for both, you know, for the pitcher. And then I saw where Aaron. Aaron Judge setting the pitch clock. So just kind of quickening the game. It's kind of like players running on and off the field. I mean, 
And I don't, I got to really sit down and break it down because I, I remember I see things that you people don't see, right? right? I mean, Reed can sit there and all you guys can sit there and look at, you know, stupid, goofy stats, but I'll pick up stuff. So maybe the next time we talk, I'll, I'll be a little bit more prepared on the pitch clock. Tracy, and I got to give credit where credit is due. You came on this show, one of the very first shows, and you said that you see things that most people don't. You brought up a player that is that has got off to a good start in, in their league. Uh, Aristides Aquino, a guy that you are high on. He is overplaying in the penal league. The other day, he did hit two home runs uh, to start his season off. So I just wanted to give credit where credit is due. You've seen that one from the very start. Well, I didn't see it, you know the bend really pan out but you know he can hit that 88 mile an hour fastball he has trouble with the little juice high enough so yeah i thought okino could play but you know sometimes i can't get everything right that's but right at least, you know trace here's here's the difference with me and you people i have the courage to go out on a limb and give you my opinion you guys are always just standing back you know and and saying you know i think uh, manny machado is going to have a great year Your internet's struggling. There we go. You're back. All right, last thought. As you're, as you're, you need, we need to, uh, I don't know if we need to get Elon a call. Maybe we'll get Burns out there. We'll send him to the, the south side of, uh, of California to see if we can't get some internet out there. I don't know. I do like the backdrop, to be fair to you. I'm sure that maybe you can hear, maybe, maybe you can't, but I do like the backdrop you got going there. That's very nice. Do you know tomorrow? Let me see. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I'll just no, say, do you know? I probably no. I probably will give John Burns a call and and maybe break down, or he'll walk me through what 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 the issues are here, because we're not getting very re good reception. I've come with uh, a lot of stuff. I a hundred effort, and yet it seemed like a lot of things slipped through the cracks this morning. So and 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 here it is, Trace. And here's what I'm a little disappointed. You know, I had to wake up early this morning. You know, I had to wake up at like eight o'clock to do the show. Do you know how tough it is to get out of bed when you're sleeping in silk pajamas? I, I, I actually do not. No, I do not. Not silk pajamas. I do not. Could, I'm assuming it's difficult. <laughs> it really is. It really is. In fact, I want to go put them on and get back into bed. I need, I'm tired. You should give that a shot. And I mean, the beautiful thing is, is out there in, in California where you're located, um, you should be able to do whatever you wish. There, there should, there, you take it easy if you'd like to take it easy. If, if you need to work, then you can work. You just, it's kind of like uh, come and go out there a little bit. We'll take it easy type place. Well, I do have the life of, I do have the uh, life of Riley. I'm very fortunate, but you know, I think it's supposed to rain here in about three hours. So I got to get out and walk my dog, Tucker. Tucker made the trip to California, if you can believe that. That is that. That's a big time trip for Tucker, especially with the types of arrangements that he has to uh, abide by. When I'm sure getting through airport security is not the easiest thing for Tucker. So let's uh, let's transition. I've asked. I think I've asked Paul this twice. Tracy, do you know what tomorrow is? Uh, Wednesday. No, tomorrow, Paul. Let him know. It's the first day of uh, Women's History Month, Tracy. And no better guy to have on the day before than you to really discuss this subject matter. Wow, I didn't know that. I would have prepared. I, I knew about Black History Month being a 3% black, 
but the women's this is the first day so march is is it the whole month for women it's the whole month tracy the whole month whoa that seems a lot for a, for women to have a whole month for I, I don't know what what are we supposed to do are we supposed to do chores now are we supposed to do the cooking and the cleaning i'm not sure I mean, how does that work? Well, I, you know what? I'll ask someone who's whipped. Casey, what do you got to do for you? <laughs> um, I'm unfamiliar what you're supposed to do. Isn't this something, something new? I don't know. Something. I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure. It literally popped up on my phone and it said tomorrow women's history month. And I said, I've never heard of this. Never heard of women. Well, <laughs> Tracy, Tr Tracy, obviously, I don't get an opportunity to uh, to do this a whole lot with you. And I know that you're probably looking forward to getting yourself back into that bed with your silk pajamas. But I, I do have to ask the question while you're on here. When you're out there, how much work actually gets done? I mean, are you actually working out there or is this just mostly just a leisure vacation? You know, I that's. I, I do a little work. I have clients in my financial business out in Southern California. So I meet with about 10 people that I, that we go out, go over their, uh, their financials. And that, that's one right there. I think I'll schedule lunch here. Um, but yeah, I do meet with clients, but most of all, I just kind of relax. I mean, I'm going to be 62 coming up March 31st, the end of woman's month. So yeah, I've kind of taken it easy. I very fortunate, very fortunate. But yes, I am meeting with some clients. Fair enough. All right. So when you and I meet like that, this, by the way, yeah, I mean, this is this is uh, this is big time work. I will say when you get that FU money, as you've you have proclaimed from time to time, I just want right. you to remember your good pals here at Chatterbox and you can just buy us out and we can we then could probably lay around on the beaches of Southern California enjoying our flexibility and our freedom within our silk pajamas but until then we'll continue to grind out here and try to make it to where when you get that that money this 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 whole thing that we do around here a little more valuable is that a thought you think you could buy my goal in life a hundred and to have fu money those are my two goals kind of like rockefeller and carnegie you know Rockefeller, the average uh expectancy life expectancy back in those times were like 37 years old do you know both those guys lived to be 98 and 97 years old i think that's incredible i really do so that's kind of my goal i hopefully i'll have as much money as carnegie and rockefeller maybe who knows keep doing this show i won't There's a lot of truth. Hey, to hey, one more thing before one more thing. I know I'm taking up a lot of time and I'm sure a lot of people are very bored. Uh, another, you know, the hits just keep coming for me. I'm a very lucky person. I know that I'm very thankful. God has been very good to me. I've got a great wife, got a family, friends, clients, very lucky. I just signed a five year deal. Oh yeah. Bones and Brenneman on base. How about that? Five, Five years. Year we just deal. signed it. Signed it on Friday. We are good to go. The only change is it used to be Brenneman and Jones, but we flip flopped it. Uh, Brenneman and Jones on baseball. Now it's Jones and Brenneman on baseball. So have Marty tomorrow. Sure, because he's more picky with that. He didn't like that. But, well, 
But I think you got to, although Marty's great, I'm not saying he's not great, but let's face it. So it's Jones and Brenneman on baseball for five years WLW. It's a big deal. 25 years, Trace, we've been together. No, that's impressive, and I enjoy it. I, it's uh, it's it's one of those things where, unfortunately, and maybe this is where at some point the, the, the rubber will meet the road with some of these things. I would like it to be available for, for uh, what I would call this younger generation, Tracy. I don't really listen to the radio a whole lot anymore. I don't know um, if that's, if that's um, you know, uh, maybe a slight on me. Maybe I should watch it a little more. But if we could get that thing on the Internet be it to where, you know, it's, 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 it's on Twitter every day or something along those lines, maybe – Maybe there's a way at some point Chatterbox could help out these folks that are old heads at uh, these stations to help them realize that there's other Wouldn't that be great? It'd be nice. Maybe I, I think so. It'd be great. Marty is only, I mean, people talk about the relationship that I have with Marty. Marty's uh, got mad at me one time, and that was when I was late to a show about 15 years ago. I was out drinking with the boys. I had just gone through a divorce. You know how that happens. Tracy, you're just married once. Married one time, just, Tracy. That's what, that's okay, what well, you call, get I'm, a, I'm a good general manager. I make good picks. I, 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 unfortunately, sounds like some of you guys are more of the, 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 the Bowden type, but that's here nor there. No, see, that's, that's where you're wrong. You're going to be a lot happier when you, got your, when you find your second wife, right? And then I'm ha going to be really happy when I find my third. But I was late because I was out drinking. And guess where I was drinking at? The my guess ass. is the BA, yeah. Yeah, I, you got it. You got it. The brass ass. I came in, and Marty didn't like that at all. And you, we, when you're with Marty, you got to come prepared, and you got to be on time. Trace, that's the only time I've ever been late. And I, every time we're scheduled for a show, if it's at ten o'clock, I'll be there at thirty-five. Every time, because Marty, you got to be ready to go. And he, he is a—he's an unbelievable talent. He really is. He is so quick. He hasn't slowed down at all. Fair enough. I'll leave you with this. We got, a, we got a text message from Tom late, late last night that he had obviously a personal matter that he had to attend to, and he wasn't going to be able to do the show. So as I uh, got a text message, we said, what are we going to do? I said, well, the show must go on. We got to do this every single day. Tell the folks that we're going to continue to do it. You know why, Tracy? Because there was a smart man that told me one thing. And you know what he told me? What did he tell you? He said, success, for the most part, 90% of it, at least, is just showing up. And that's what we did today. What do you think about that? Don't try to take credit for that. How dare you? came up with that, and I stole it from Woody Allen. <laughs> I would love to have talked about the Woody Harrelson thing the other day, but we don't know if we have time for that. Maybe uh, that'll be for the next show. Yes, please do. Let's do that. <laughs> All right, Tracy, I'll let you get back and enjoy your day. Thank you for coming All on, right. even though... We are the, uh, we are the uh, JV squad, perhaps, as they call us here at Chatterbox. But we like to think we do a decent job. So appreciate you coming on, Tracy. Anytime, boys. All right. Anytime. All right. Yeah. Tracy Jones. What about him playing for all those guys, with all those guys? And you know what's it's wild, and I didn't want to get into this, is, is, is just how damn hard it is to play professionally in any sport. I look at, like, these youth sports at times. I look at the youth organizations. I see all this crazy I call it nonsense, but this craziness that exists at youth levels, whether it be 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old leagues, and it's just, it's just going all over the place to do all these crazy things. And I'm looking at somebody, and I'm thinking to myself, there's so many parents 
that are so naive. And maybe ignorance is bliss. Maybe I shouldn't be the Debbie Downer and shouldn't be the guy that tries to, to say, hey, do you know the reality of this? But it's just like, it's so damn hard to make it to the major leagues that I often wonder if people really do understand how difficult it actually is. Tracy, from time to time, people obviously make fun of the fact that, oh, yeah, whatever, he hit. I didn't, actually, he didn't even hit that bad in the big leagues, did he? You pull up his baseball reference real fast. But, you know, they'll laugh at the idea that he played for five major league teams, et cetera, et cetera, and, and uh, kind of downplay his career a little bit. But, man, I'll tell you right now, if you even have a chance to get to double A or beyond anymore, you're an incredible player. And um, I don't know where I was going with that, other than saying I guess Tracy Jones is probably a better baseball player than many want to give him credit for. According to baseball reference, he was slightly below average. OPS plus, 100's the parameter for being average. He had a 97 OPS plus throughout his career. So just right there on the average. Fellas, we got called in late. I'm not sure that we did a good job. I think we did an average job at best. But at the end of the day, we found a way to survive in advance, as Darren Horde said. That's what this is about. We do have a cherry on top. Beautiful. Let's fire that cherry up on top. Let's fire the cherry on top. Because this show is <laughs> presented by, geez Louise, I'm ruining it at the end of the show. United Dairy Farmers. Big thanks to United Dairy Farmers for supporting this show. We are in the middle of trying to, uh, to re-up that deal. So we will uh, we'll work through that. But if you haven't already, please do me a favor. Like the video down here. We have... 59 people watching. We have 26 likes. I know that sometimes you don't have the ability to like it, but right now, if you're listening, please just like the video. It might not seem like a lot to you. You might think that that's no big deal, but it helps the YouTube algorithm show our videos to more people. The more people that see this show, let us go out and sell advertisement. If we sell advertisement, we can continue to do it, and we hope to continue to provide better and better resources to where at some point we can hire people that are better than me to do this stuff. So, Without further ado, it's the United Dairy Farmers Cherry on Top. In these people this work, Kevin Durant, let's go. <laughs> you keep joining super teams to win the NBA title. How about how about we work out together sometime so I can teach you how to carry your own team? Oh! Well, <laughs> there's two things I love about that clip. One is, is Giannis is just such a likable guy. Um, I, thought, I thought the joke was relatively pretty funny. I, it could have been delivered better, probably. But when you have a guy on his English as a second language, you could see his brain. Did you guys see? Almost, I'm going to have you run that clip back. Do you see his brain turning? It was in a pretzel trying to read that teleprompter for a minute. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from him because if, if, if I was trying to do something in a second language and, and, and again, I was on national television, I would probably look just as bad. But his brain was in a pretzel for about a minute. I want you to rewatch this when they go to him. You could see the, the light bulbs go off like, oh, I got to try to read this. And there was humongous nerves. You keep joining super teams to win the NBA title. How about, how about we work out together sometime so I can teach you how to carry your own team? Oh! It's like yeah. he got to the end and then realized what he said. 
then he kind of had that little smirk. It was great. Yeah, yeah. It, it took him a minute to realize the joke he told himself. A um, couple quick questions from Sir Boy, who's asking the most serious and important questions. One, is there a not too picky? You want to just go in the vault right now? I mean, we've all been sitting here. We can go in the vault that. right now. We can go sure. into the vault. Let's not too go, picky. Let's just go in the vault right now. Matthew, since we're all here. Matthew McConaughey says, all right, all right, all right. But more importantly, any watch party happening. The watch party currently is on the goal line. We are right there. We're at like the two-yard line. Sometimes when you get to the two-yard line, you, you, you turn around and you hand the ball to Marshawn Lynch. He runs the ball in the end zone. Sometimes you let Russell Wilson try to throw a quick slant and the bad things happen when you try to do stupid things. So we're right there at the two-yard line. Our goal is to hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch and run it in for a touchdown. We think that's, what, that's what's going to happen. Um, we have some other exciting news, hopefully, to share in the next uh, few days. But uh, we're working very hard on the watch party. And, yes, we want to do that. And we want to try to make a big deal out of it with Bedfred. Because Bedfred, hey, one thing about Bedfred is that they have supported us. And we want to make them proud. So one thing that we would do that could possibly make them proud. And one thing that we could prove our worth is to have a big watch party and, 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 and all enjoy ourselves gambling and watching March Madness. I think Betfred's mad at us. You think so? Yeah, I mean, the not-too-picky graphic just keeps slamming parlays. Speaking of which, we've got this gear showed up, and the man who makes this shot, so we had the Floridian fade yesterday. Five teams were playing against Florida teams, and we put it together, and it came down to this shot right here. Casey, run the clip. He's being pressured by Tillman. This is P.J. Bird for the Southern Jaguars to win the Floridian fade parlay. And because of this shot, P.J. Bird is going to be the first ever athlete inducted into the Not Too Picky Hall of Fame. So congratulations to P.J. Bird Congrats, on hitting PJ. that shot. That's big time He's been a long Bird. time... Been a longtime supporter of the of the birds. But really quickly, I want to run that back, and I want the audio on it because Reed, you're not able to hear. That's fair to you. I won't get on you. But I heard some great play by play right there, and I want to hear it again. Run that clip back. I want to actually hear this whole thing with the and announcer. I got to show you something after you run this clip clip back the first time. Go ahead. He's being pressured by Tillman. Seven seconds left in the clock. And he's going to pull up at the top of the key and knock down the shot with 2.5 seconds left. Bam, good right. bird. So run it back. So there's this oh, – run hilarious. this clip back one more time. There's this kid from the baseline after the shot is made comes flying through flailing his arms. That was me. <laughs> down the sideline. Down the sideline. Watch. From the, base, near from the closest, from the, the closest sideline to us from the baseline. Watch him. Here he comes. <laughs> <laughs> Airplane. That was me running through 800 Park Avenue yesterday, flailing out for the Southern Jaguars. Love it. The Floridian fade. It came through. Good for you, Raid. So we've had three. We've had the uh, we've had the, the, rebound. the rebound rundown yep. that hit last week. The bluegrass parlay hit on Saturday, and now the Floridian fade. We'll have it out later. We don't know what the theme is. We just kind of we fly by the seat. Tomorrow, you know what we do tomorrow. The women's hoops parlay for Women's History Month. We pick a few women's games. <laughs> I love right, it. I love, love it. Sold. Seems like a good deal to me. Yeah. I mean, what in. could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Isn't it wild when you just randomly pick games you have no idea about? They just start. They just start hitting left. Well, that and was right. that was me on Saturday night with the with the eight seventy one I had left in my account. 
I just picked every 10 p.m. game. I said, screw it. I was watching Netflix. Picked every 10. Didn't, didn't look at a thing. Didn't look at a thing. Just randomly clicked every game. Seven legs. Flipped on Outer Banks. First episode got done. I thought, ah, might as well check, see where we How's are. How's it going? Might as well check and see where we are. We were at halftime of all the games. They were all looking good. Got through six legs. San Diego State had to win by two and not three. Could have turned 871 into almost $1,000. And you'd be back. Oh, I would have been back, baby. Fully back. I would have been back. I, it, I put that parlay together in maybe 25 seconds. Just clicked everything. I, I did the exact same thing last night with the three big big games yeah. uh, from the major conferences. I did the total and I did a side. And out of the six possible comp, like the six, yeah. it went, went five for six. Freaking Oklahoma State. Oh, sad. All right, anyone got a play for tonight? Villanova minus one and a half. I like that. <laughs> I only I would like I to like it too. Man. I would like to know if Kadari Richmond's playing or not for Seton Hall because that makes a massive difference. It was a close game uh, when they played the first time in Philadelphia when he was playing. If he's yeah. not playing, I mean that's a completely different Seton Hall team, and it sounds the line kind of makes it feel like he is playing. Mm-hmm. If it ends up that he's not playing and you want to get in on that game. Get in on it now because, I mean, that that's just a completely different Seton Hall team without him. I like Tennessee to get back on the horse. I know I called them frauds yesterday. I like them to get back on the horse. They play the Hogs tonight. Uh, six and a half point favorites at home. I like Tennessee in that. I know they're a slow-moving team, but seven points is a lot for them. But I think they got it. Give me the balls. I know Reed doesn't want to talk about this, but the oh, – no. uh, you're gonna be a sucker and take Uh-oh. Iowa. Oh, gonna yeah. be a sucker and the take Iowa, Iowa. The Iowa Hawkeyes look like a pretty <laughs> good play tonight. Sucker. Think that that's a bad bet, do you? <laughs> Getting five and a half points. I don't even know if Iowa really needs the points. If we're it, being frank, they're playing at home. Is it in Bloomington? Okay, I didn't know that. I thought it was in Iowa. Is it in Bloomington? It's in Bloomington. Mm. Assembly. Got another one for you. This one I actually like more. You ready for it? Slay in my way, big pimpin'. Virginia tonight. Mm. They're going to bounce back. We like the defensive teams. They're a team. They're the frauded teams. I just said I liked Iowa. That's not a defensive team. <laughs> I like Virginia. I like Virginia a lot. Give me NC State. They're on a bounce back too. NC State six and a half on the road against Duke. Yeah. Yeah, I like Virginia a lot. All right. I need to get back on the horse. I've been doing some uh, some some matters around the house, like hanging backsplashes and doing some things. And I took. I mean, if you looked at my uh, if you looked at my picket or whatever, you'd probably see I've taken like five, six, seven days off until last night. Got back on the horse real late. Turned turned on the tube. I seen three minutes and forty five seconds left. And you know who was on there? Old Huggy Bear down by four, plus three hundred. Took a stab at it. Hit quick. Quick and easy money, as they say. Nice. So, uh, I do have this, which I will say. I'll put this out to the office. The good people, they gave me a $100 free bet. Maybe they they knew I've been retired. Knew I haven't bet in a long time. Got $100 free, a coupon. $100 free bet. Mm -hmm. I hit this. Maybe Maybe we find two, three legs. We hit this. Why not build it back? Let's turn that 100 and a 200 on Virginia. And then we'll we'll only t- get, he'd only get 90. He'd only get 90. Yeah. 
Now, here's the thing. What do you mean you only get 90? Because it's a free bet. So you only get the wins. Yeah, you, yeah. So if you bet $100, you get 90. Yeah, I don't, I don't get the extra cash. So that's what I'm saying. You, you take... But that's not nothing. No, it's not nothing. It's not nothing. It's a lot. It's not nothing. All right, let's just pick a state and fade the crap out of it. <laughs> we're undefeated. Never lost. I got a story about Casey, too, while we're talking about bets. Casey, yesterday, I'm putting the graphic together. Casey, I said, Casey, you got any picks for me? He said, yeah. Uh-oh. I love the Celtics. And I said, you love it? He said, I love them so much. I think it's, without a doubt, going to hit so badly that I might even parlay it with another team. And I said, what? <laughs> You're so confident in a bet that you want to make it less likely to hit? And he said, yeah. And I said, all right, I'll bet it. And I'll make you a deal, Casey. If this doesn't hit, then one point in our friendship, never going to tell you when, I get to smack you one time. You never know when it's going to come. It could come right. I could run over there right now and do it. I could do it two years from now. Do it at the wedding. At the wedding would be a good spot. It'd be a good spot. But if it diz, does hit, I'd take you out to a nice dinner. And it didn't come close. So I officially okay. One of the worst officiated games I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, no. Tatum gets ejected. A second technical. I mean, it was bad. It was bad. For those that are for those that are uh, into the uh, the Cincinnati Reds, um, I know Kirby's in the chat right now, and uh, we're gonna do a show tomorrow with C Trent Rosecrans, uh, right around nine thirty. But if you haven't yet, please download two podcasts that are legit. And I'm not just saying this because they're they're ours, but they're very good. I listen to podcasts. I started listening to ours, and I compare them to others. Rebound Rundown every day, Paul. You do a great job. I'm not just saying that because you're in the building, but Nick Kirby's done an excellent job with the uh, the Chatterbox Reds. And that thing's just shot straight up the charts. So kudos to him and Chatterbox, I guess, as a whole for, for us promoting uh, all of our other types of content out there. And thank you for watching this show. And uh, if you want to make some money tonight, I'm telling you right now, Virginia is a very, very good opportunity to do that. But until then, we will at Box Lunch probably not be back tomorrow because we have uh, some things that we need to attend to around the office that are upgrades. Mm -hmm. However, if Tom is not able to do his show tomorrow, we will probably jump back on the horse and the saddle or whatever term you'd like to use. And we'll be back here better than ever tomorrow, probably a little more prepared because I will be frank with you. When I say I've been pretty unprepared for things in my life, I don't know if you need to look farther than today as maybe me being the most underprepared for something in my entire life. So I hope we did you proud to a certain extent. And if you don't think we did you proud, I understand. Join the Discord and uh, bet Virginia tonight, and maybe that'll, that'll make up for it. But until then, thank you for watching. This has been Off the Bench, not with Tom Brenneman. Take care, everybody.